detective? Thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Now Care More, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. How it works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast, the crosswords of science fiction, fantasy, and horror meet. I'm your host, Nathan Barbell. I am joined by my co-host, Bill Van Vagel from Canada. Bill, how are you tonight? I'm doing pretty well. We just had our big National Canada Day holiday, and you guys will be having the 4th of July tomorrow. Everything's great. And I was looking around my desk here, and I, I realized I, not that long ago, had Chinese food, and I uh, had my uh, fortune cookie downstairs. And the uh, little wording that they have in the cookie was, you have keen intuition and emotional sensitivity. That's oh. definitely you. Yeah. Okay, sure, yeah, okay. Uh, maybe <laughs> intuition, but I have no emotional sensitivity, so I don't know. <laughs> we'll, 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 see, we'll see how your intuition is since tonight is VOD roulette. Get excited, have, get excited. Yes, VOD yeah, roulette. so we'll I, see. I know, I know there are listeners that specifically love the VOD roulettes. There are listeners, uh, plural, I'm not sure how many, but uh, we also have two guests tonight, which we'll bring in in a second. It's funny you mentioned the fortune cookies. We actually went out and had Chinese tonight, and my daughter, I handed her a fortune that said, had something weird on it. It said something along the lines of, like, uh, it was like, reality is just a vision. Look around. It was like the Matrix. It was like, wake up, Neo. And she stared at me like, Dad, why are you giving me the existential fortune cookie? She crumbled up and threw it on the floor. It's like, where's mine? And I think hers was more general. But life, anyway. Life, I was going to say, life is happy. Have more food. You know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not like, <laughs> reality is nothing. <laughs> that's not, that's not air you're breathing. Anyway, let's bring in our guests. Uh, and we have a couple. First, I'm going to bring in uh, a previous co-host of the Phantom Galaxy podcast, Seth Dombach. <clears throat> Seth, you know it's the Matrix when Seth shows up. Seth, how are you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic, Nathan. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I'm very excited that you're here. Uh, this is actually the second episode. There is a lost Phantom Galaxy episode out there which somewhere. Some, at some point, <laughs> we may have portions reappear. Yes, yes, you know, you know, segments of it. And uh, But I'm very excited to have uh, Seth here tonight. Uh, he's he's also picked the movie, and he got to watch all of our wonderful films as well. And we have four movies tonight, four, and we have one more guest to bring in, and that is Brian Scott. Brian, the horror movie fanboy Scott. Brian, how are you tonight? Hey, Nathan, Bill, and glad to meet you, Seth. I'm so honored to be on here. It's the third time now. We did the Thanksgiving episode, and even more fun was our Christmas episode. <laughs> so it's been, it's been about seven months since I chatted with you guys, and I couldn't wait to get on here and do a VOD roulette. So thank you and, very and, much, guys. And, Brian, how is the war zone around you? It's going crazy. Just FYI, um, listeners, it's July 3rd night. 
right before the 4th. The rain last night. People are going nutty with fireworks out here. So if you hear some fireworks outside, I'm in a war zone. Like, literally. Our neighborhood, these people have too much stupid money. They spend thousands of th- – I just sit outside in my lawn chair and watch them shoot fireworks. It's like a show on the riverfront. I mean, these people are nuts. <laughs> but, hey. As long as nothing catches on fire, as long as you're safe. <laughs> no, well, things – usually there's something every year that catches on fire. Hopefully not my house this year, but that's right. This makes it more exciting. Brian, you don't have, like, a giant firework that goes up in the air and explodes and, like, forms the Millennium Falcon or anything, do you? I wish. That'd be awesome. <laughs> or something like the end of the uh, new version of uh, Episode 6 from the Jedi. Anything would be cool. All right, yeah, yeah where they have the uh, hippy-dippy music playing instead of the uh Instead of the Ewoks. Ewok yeah. Man, why did they cut the Num Num song out? I'm so mad. <laughs> Dave, Dave Dr. Becker wouldn't be mad because he hates Ewoks, but I love those little guys. So <laughs> It's great to be an adult and be mad about things like the Num Num song being yeah, Num Num anything. Yep. Well, Brian, Any, as long as long as your deck doesn't end up like the end of a Roger Corman film where it goes into <laughs> flames. Well, luckily it's not wood. It's one of those like uh, plastic, like new plastic type wood things. So I think it's pretty. We'll be good. We'll be good. Yeah, slow burn. You just die of fumes. Yep. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we have four movies tonight, and we'll jump in in a minute. And we actually have a fifth movie because what we did is we actually pulled. Uh, you the listeners on the Facebook group page and put a call out uh, for suggestions for a uh, a fifth movie. And, and I was going to say, might I say that there were some really good suggestions that we debated. Uh, yes, we did. And, uh, and ultimately the deal is, although we did pick one of the suggestions, the other suggestions, uh, which were all, were all good, uh, are basically going into our rotation of movies to choose from. So when we, we will put the call out again, but we will also be sort of picking uh, close to it random. We sort of just looked through the titles and say, okay, we're going to take that one. Uh, it wasn't really a, a comparison of quality because we didn't know what most of the movies <laughs> that were that were put um, up were. Nathan, real fast. Um, yes. Let's give a shout-out to the Phantom Galaxy member. I personally don't remember who it is. I don't know if it's Victoria Chambers, maybe. But oh, we, do, you, do you know who recommended? I sure movie? do. And we're going to mention when we... Uh, okay, good. We're about to talk about that movie anyway, so yes, we will gotcha. mention it. But I wanted yeah. to... Uh, I do wanted to say that everyone who, who suggested a film, even the people that came and said, oh, am I too late for this? Your titles have all gone into uh, into the rotation. I've written the titles down, along with who suggested them. And at the very end of the episode, I will pull up and give a shout out to everybody who uh, who participated in that. So I really appreciate that. And we are going to start tonight with that movie, the movie that was picked from the group uh, uh, suggestions. And it's actually... Um, Amanda Lee, it was her movie, and I mean, it's not surprising because Amanda suggests like three, <laughs> three or four movies that were all uh, interesting, and the one that we picked was a found footage film. It really came down to we were sort of like, hey, let's do found footage, and it came down to this movie or there was a dinosaur movie, which the simple fact I didn't choose a dinosaur movie meant that there was a slight bit of interest in this one because usually I'm all over, even even if it's bottom of the barrel dinosaurs, I'm usually there for dinosaurs, but. Uh, what intrigued me is that this movie seems to have been released this year in 2022, and it seems to also have been sort of just directly uh, placed on YouTube in other places, too. I think you can also catch it on Screenbox, which is a streaming service. Uh, I think it came out around the same time as Shudder, but is not quite, <laughs> isn't quite as auspicious as Shudder. But they do have a lot of content on there. Uh, yeah, I think you can also get it through your Prime video channels. But it is... 
sorry to interject, Nathan. Can I just mention one thing about Screenbox since you sure. brought it up? I believe that will be the exclusive place to see Terrifier 2 this October. Oh, is Screen, that right? Yeah, and I, it will go to theaters, but Terrifier 2 will go straight to Screenbox the day of release. Just FYI. That, that's cool. There. Thanks thanks for uh, dropping that. Yep. The interest is, that's cool that they're doing that because I really haven't heard too much about Screenbox. I remember sort of trying it out back when Shudder was uh, was just a burgeoning thing, too. Remember really around the time when I started the podcast the first time around, uh, Phantom Galaxy. And I remember they were both sort of just up and coming. So it is cool because I that's, to me, I think it's one of the first things I've heard is a Screenbox exclusive. But this film is called God Forsaken. It has IMDb listed as a 2022 film, but uh, it has a 2022 uh, identifier when you look it up, like, on, say, YouTube. And I'm going to read the basic... This is the plot synopsis on IMDb. An indie doc crew travels to a small town to document a bizarre and seemingly unnatural case ending in extreme tragedy. <laughs> so they were kind enough to add that extreme tragedy part, you know, at at the uh, the end there. This is a found footage film. I think that description is entirely too vague because it covers only a most basic uh, it's, it's not even a description. Uh, you know, you can't really tell from that what the film is about. And we're not going to extreme spoilers with it, but I will uh, give a basic synopsis on the setup of the film. And the director is Ali Akbar, Akbar Kamal, uh, stars Chad Taylor, Amila B. Rondu, and Katie Fleming. And it begins with uh, the first thing I want to say before I start. This is an extremely low-budget film. Even Even though we're dealing with found footage. Uh, right from the beginning, I realized that I had to sort of adjust my expectations a bit. Uh, and the, largely that low, low budget uh, shows up in the form of the acting. I think I'll say, there are some actors here that come across just fine and relatively natural. Uh, but again, what we're going for is found footage to so a sense of reality. And uh, I think what one thing that is often a little disarming with this movie is there are some very stilted and wooden and, and overacting that occurs in the film. So you're, that to me did dampen uh, being able to get into this as a found footage movie a little bit. But, you know, uh, that aside, the very opening of the film was very interesting. We see Chad Taylor, who's going back to his hometown to uh, attend the funeral of, I guess, you know, it seems at first like she's a friend, but as, as the movie progresses, it seems like maybe she's just more of an acquaintance, somebody that he knew. And when he gets there, He's at the funeral and he's uh, shows up as a sort of questionable character because he is actually filming his friends and the people he grew up with grieving at this at this woman's funeral. And as he's doing this, we see him. People are chiding him. You know, his mother, who is actually conducting the ceremony, is telling him to put the camera down. Uh, everyone's there in the church. They come outside and then everyone starts running outside screaming. And the the, the coffin tips over, lands on the ground in the middle of the ceremony. The lady that was in the coffin, the young woman in the coffin now, has gotten up and has walked out of the coffin and is also exiting the church. And as she's doing this, people are just pouring out in droves. They're running out into the, the street. Uh, this is where I think you do see some just the, the, the level of hysteria is if, you know, she rose up and had wings and you know, maybe a machine gun. But this girl's just gotten up and everyone is panicking like Godzilla is in the church. And as they come outside, we see her, you know, her mother is there and, and kind of confronts her. And there's this 
seeming, the way she's moving, the way she's behaving, and she's sort of sinisterly smiling at the camera. Things are something is clearly just wrong. This is not a case of someone waking up and realizing, oh, I don't know what's wrong, but you aren't dead. There's something very sinister and ominous. A lot of people seem to sense that. And then she runs away in, in the chaos of everything. And I thought, honestly speaking, even for a low-budget film, that was a pretty unique and interesting opening uh, for for this kind of film, for this found footage exercise. What surprises me is after that, we cut kind of to the beginning of the film, and it's like we've gone, we, we've gone back. This event has already happened, but instead of sort of following this guy, Chad, who's now maybe on the ground trying to find out where this woman went to, what's going on with her, and just interacting with the town, it's like he goes back, gets some of his friends, who want to help him make this documentary. And now they're going to set out on the road again to beat and interview everybody who's interacted with her. And she is still at this point missing. Uh, as the film progresses, we see the various members of his friends and family who were there when this event occurred, uh, including his buddy, Chris, who's in a wheelchair. And I don't, again, I don't want to get into too much of this, but there's a sequence Kind of early on where they're talking to Chris, they are expressing, okay, we don't know how we're going to approach this documentary, but, you know, everyone is sort of, someone might be hiding her, we don't know where she's at. And then she just appears across the street, and uh, everyone runs and leaves the guy in the wheelchair basically in the on, on the on the front porch, and she uh, attacks him and, and pushes him sort of into the house, and, and what what they discover when they go in that they can hear his mother and his father screaming. They can hear him screaming. But when they go in that house, what they encounter is very different than what they were expecting because instead of being murdered, he can walk. And I'm, I don't want to say too much more about the film other than to say the presence of this woman in the town is causing uh, a sort of, phenomena that seems to be spreading in which people are experiencing miracles. And so it looks like that the resurrection of this woman could potentially be a good thing, despite the fact that every time she shows up, her demeanor, her behavior, and everything about her seems very aggressive and, and demonic. The Chad and his mother are very, very skeptical of this. Uh, Chad and his film crew want to get a little bit closer to her, see what's going on. Chris, who's been healed, he and his family want to bring what she has to the masses of the town. And you can see there are warning signs here. The movie continues to progress. And I'm trying to think of the best way to say this without any sorts of spoilers. We can see the writing on the wall that something is not right. We start we start to see uh, structures being erected in front yards. We see that there is a clear kind of discrepancy between the people who think that she's dangerous and the people who believe that maybe maybe she's more than just uh, a person of healing powers. Maybe she has divinity herself. And there's an interesting sort of religious fervor that's happening in the town, but those people who are part of the church uh, are responding to her a little bit differently. So it's an interesting setup, and that's kind of where... Uh, I want to stop as far as plot goes. The film crew continues to explore what's going on, and they want to make contact with her. Uh, before I give my thoughts, though, I, I am curious to hear what you all thought about it, um, it, it, it as a film and whether or not you thought it worked, particularly what you thought about the found footage. Um, Seth, let's start with you. What, what were your feelings on this one? 
Well, I think they should have called this movie Midnight Ass because, man, this stunk <laughs> so bad. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you on some of the points on there, Nathan. Like, I think I think this movie has some interesting ideas if it was executed well. And I could, you could tell that this, like you said, it's a, a very shoestring budget. It feels like people recorded it at their grandma's house over the weekend. Um from a, I'm a big found footage nerd. I really enjoy a lot of found footage films. This is pretty low tier for me. Um, it has some decent setup. Uh, some of the the scenes are are interesting in the way that they're playing them. But overall, it's like you said, the overacting in this is just it is really over the top. If you like to listen to people scream for 45 minutes you'll really enjoy this movie because that seems like half of what this plot is based upon is people just yelling in their houses. Um, I, I think what you really come down to is if you maybe had like a tighter script for this or, or a better use of the found footage style itself. Like they try to interject a lot of the, you know, like the camera static, like you see in a lot of found footage films and things like that. But if you're a documentary crew and you have a, you know, you have a filmmaker, at least, hold the camera somewhat still sometimes it's constantly moving. There's just so much else going on throughout the entire movie. Um, again, like I said, I think it has an interesting plot within the confines of this film. Um, but they just, it doesn't seem like they know what to do with it. And it just devolves into something that we've seen a hundred times by the end of the movie. So, um, I, overall there, there's some interesting stuff there. There are a few semi creepy ish type of scenes, but, because of the overacting, because of the low budget for some of the effects, like there's a little girl who has like Freddy Krueger face at some point. Um, it's, it just really fall, like fell very flat for me. And, and I just kind of found myself wandering off in my mind halfway through it or turning the volume down when the screaming just got too overwhelming. So those are some of my basic thoughts on it. So you're saying halfway through this film, you felt like you were trapped in a box under the ground in your mind. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, in dirt forever. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll get to your other reactions here. But to speak to what you just said and your and your play on words there with the title, yes, Midnight Mass. I think I think that the fact that uh, Midnight Mass, which came out earlier this year on Netflix, it was, it was a miniseries, and I think a very well done Mike Flanagan's. Uh, miniseries that does bear a lot of similarity here. I don't think in any way this this is the, the fact that there's a similarity here is probably mostly um, incidental. You know, I don't think that it was copied from Midnight Mass. I think that concept of uh, when someone is bringing what we appear to see as miracles, whether that's good or bad. At, uh, whether that person is a savior or a destroyer, it's always an interesting question, and I think it can open very interesting, like a can of, of theological worms, right? And I think that this movie starts to go down that road, and I, uh, I'm a little bit more split on it. There are a lot of things I do like about it, and when the 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 concepts are more interesting, particularly when we do get to some of these people who are experiencing this and we kind of made the allusions to the box of dirt or where we're characters talking about being trapped inside of their mind. Some of those ideas are pretty scary and we see the movie moving towards becoming something different than it is initially. That's also scary in concept, but because of what you're talking about, Seth, particularly the handheld camera stuff, it got so shaky that when that stuff begins to happen, you have no trajectory of what's happening. At least I couldn't follow it. It just became a literal visual jumble. I'm not talking about where people complain about the Blair Witch like it's going to make me sick. Like in the Blair Witch there was a sense of frantic person running with a camera. Yes, there was some visual distortion but you could still basically tell where they were and what they were doing. 
there's points here where I just like like you said, really, I could just look away from the, s- the screen and wait for people to be talking again and know the camera had settled down because visually nothing of uh, that I could interpret was happening on screen. And I, it's I also felt, super dark too. Like, yes, it's, like yeah. the lighting in it is so dark you can hardly see it half the time. There's a lot. Yeah, when they want to do the creepy things, lots of things happen in the basement or something like that. I think there's also a feeling that uh, at a certain point the movie seems to be inexorably moving towards a very kind of uh, basic, this is how a found footage movie has to end, and it's going to head towards this Milu. The thing about Midnight Mass was when those elements started to pop up, when we had miracles or we had dark and sinister things happening, it was all about how it affected the characters, and, and it was about a battle of beliefs and ideologies in that film, and here we ultimately get to bad things are going to happen to these people, and that's kind of, for me, it never moved from that. I also want to say that the camera crew was 100% unlikable. Uh, this main character, Chad, is, uh, he does so many stupid things, and he never seems to have any real care for anybody, but then we're supposed, like, a, a very odd choice with inexperienced actors is to put them on on screen in full grieving mode. Uh, and, you know, Chad has many moments where he puts people he cares about in harm's way and then just falls apart because, guess what, bad things happen to them. So I had zero sympathy for Chad, and zero sympathy for most of the characters here, but there are a lot of interesting ideas that kept me basically engaged, so it was a very frustrating experience for me. Uh, but I, 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 I did enjoy the story they were tr- they were telling. I just I kept bouncing up against the wall of their execution. Uh, Bill, what did you think of this one? Interesting films, how I'll put it. I'm generally not a found footage fan. I say that straight up front. I. I can count on my, I can create a top 10 list of all time favorite found footage, but generally if I see found footage and there's no buzz around it, I'll let it be. So, but knowing that I had to watch this and, and knowing that Amanda, who has pretty good taste, yeah. uh, recommended this, I'm like, okay, you know what? And the other reason going for it is shot in Ontario. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it was, uh, I had to look it up to Harriston, Ontario. And they say it's Harriston. You, you see the bloody sign welcoming the town. I'd never heard of it. I had to look it up. And so it's kind of northwest of a town called Kitchener. It's found footage style, as you said, but it was way too herky jerky for me. Like, yeah. like I, that's the one of the reasons I don't like it. I don't want to see up people's noses, like in the Blair Witch Project. I don't want to see the snot bubbles forming. And I don't want to get a headache watching it. And there were times here where it was just jerking all over the place. And so I didn't, and as Seth had said, dark, I, I found there was way too much screaming and running in the dark, uh, particularly towards the last half in the basement and in a house. Uh, it almost seemed like they were winging it at times. Having said that, I thought the first hour, like you, Nathan, was engaging. Yeah, very much so. I, I didn't particularly care for the characters. But it kind of had that homey feel. You, you were kind of hoping it went somewhere. There was that scene with the priest on his front lawn. Reminded me a little of that scene in The Omen where the scepter comes down off the church. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Just bloody well move out of the way. Why you? <laughs> <laughs> but when these miracles start happening, they don't really give reasons why. So you're I, there's lots of plot holes in this. Uh, you know, as big as a, a Canadian winter snowball in this film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you know, but I did think for the first hour, the story built and I kind of liked where it was going. And there was a particular scene where Chad goes back to his house and his parents are there and I'm not going to go any further with it, but I liked that scene. And up until that point, I thought, okay, this could go somewhere. And I found the last half hour fell off a cliff. Because it kind of went into, you know, tropes of a zombie film, things we've seen a thousand times. I did think that uh, Ali Akbar, Akbar Kamal, was a fan of Night of the Living Dead. Because there was one scene where there you see the film actually playing in a movie theater. And I thought the last ten minutes was an homage to Night of the Living Dead. I'm yeah, not going to... Yeah. I'm not going to jump into it anymore. I thought the bones were there. There, there, there is a good story in there somewhere. What? How did I put it? I put. I liked the uh, the thought of the story. Good story, but couldn't stand the format. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of where I got to. So I'll just say right now, I gave it a six out of ten. I think that somebody who could do some rewrites and possibly get a higher caliber camera person, or if it's meant to be a found footage film, you can do it in a more productive, entertaining manner. So I think it's kind of like when I watched that movie old, there's, there's nuts and bolts of a good story there. It just didn't get out. So I think that's what this would take. Like, Give me a little bit. You don't even have to be the most experienced. Just more than this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think years ago I got an opportunity to interview Jason Blum, and he was we were, we were talking about how at that point in time Blumhouse was doing so many like found footage movies, and he was saying, well, you know what? Even though people pitch found footage movies all the time, that really found footage is one of those things that if you, you know, it's harder to make one good because so few of them maybe really should be found footage. It's hard to make a case for why a story really should be found footage. And I honestly think this, although it seems obvious in the beginning with that opening sequence, like that is perfectly tailored for found footage, but given the inexperience of their actors and things like that, I really think that maybe going in that direction was the wrong idea for this story. I think what you could have done is use elements of found footage put them into the film, like that whole first scene coming out yeah. of the coffee. You could have included that as found footage portion. I still had a, a, yeah. a, a, like a traditional film. Yeah. And I don't know what the answer was here, but I think the, the problem is, it for me, it never quite, that, that sense of reality that's supposed to coalesce never happens. And it, I think that they want, it's strange because it's a lot of like, a forward action without the nuance that they seem to want to have. Like we see everyone responding like, okay, well this happened. So now I'm going to do this and now I'm going to do this Uh where I wanted to see something closer to a movie, like say Lake Mungo, where we see characters ruminating on what's happening and thinking about the implications of what it means that this has happened, that in, in that one, there's a girl at the center of it too, and something has happened to her and the town is responding. And that movie uh, half, most of it happened in the spaces in between, the quote-unquote action, and this movie is mostly all action with no real moment to slow down and think about or even completely understand the events of the movie. Um, I was going to say, it almost seemed to me like towards the end, a lot of kind of ideas were just kind of crammed in. Yeah. yeah. Like, is it a survival film? Is it a siege film? 
there's Satanistic aspects to it. Is a, a Catholicism film. Like they kind of just, you know, throw it all out there. And I didn't like the way that it was portrayed. And you do get to see somebody take a picture of a dog taking a dump. So, you know, that was in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, how about uh, you, uh, your feelings on this one? You hear that clap? I'm much higher on this movie. Now, first I'm going to go over what I did not like about it. Bill, yes. This movie starts out with a bang. The girl comes out of the casket within the first minute. Yeah, and the first and second acts of this movie are intriguing. I totally agree. And the concept of this movie, like Nathan said, is amazing. And I agree with you, Seth, 100%. This This is supposed to be an aspiring filmmaker. And he can't hold a camera steady for even, he, sometimes he doesn't even get the camera in focus. And you're an aspiring filmmaker. This is my, this is my complaint with found footage movies. They try to make it look bad. Why try to make it look bad? I don't even get it. Haven't we heard these complaints enough that like, stop with the shaky cam already. I agree. This movie had a great story, a great original story. So why not, like Bill said, if you want to have the opening, there's nothing wrong with having a partially found footage and partially regular shot movie, kind of like The Deep House, for instance, that came out last year. You got some cam shots, you got some regular shots. You don't have to religiously stick to the found footage format here, and I think that's the flaws in it. But I think the great thing about this movie is I love anything that's an original story. This, to me, was a very original story because Nathan kind of touched on it and this is all in the first, you know, third of the movie, so I don't think it's giving away much spoilers. After she comes out of the uh, coffin, <clears throat> the they, t- you know, she heals the guy in the wheelchair, like you said, and then they put her in the basement in a room, which is very creepy. And she's just kind of in this basement room, and and they invite neighbors mostly over because it's a small town, neighbors over and say, hey. She'll heal you. And people go in there and get healed, which is fascinating to me. And I'm like, wow, where is the story going from here? Of course, everything backfires after that. I don't know how much we want to give away on this movie because I do want people to run out and see this. But the repercussions of getting healed by this girl that rises from the grave is uh, horrifying. And (laughs) I love the part when... They call, the cops actually come. They go down to the basement. They go into the room where the girl's in. They run out of the place, hop in their car, and drive away. Like, this is so unrealistic. There's no way a cop would just run away and say, screw that. I'm not dealing with this. But that's what happens here. So it's all left to the townspeople to kind of interpret, is this a messiah? Like, what is going on here? And then... The story is fantastic. I just love the story. I just wish this script was made into an actual movie that wasn't found footage is what I kind of wish because there was so much shaky cam, so much bad acting. I agree with you guys on that. In the final act, that girl walks around. She literally cries for 30 minutes straight. You can't even get uh, any dialogue out of her. She's just crying the whole time. And it feels so forced. And that's why I feel like is the biggest flaw in found footage movies. 
people all of a sudden kind of forget to act. We talked about that with the McPherson tapes that we reviewed on the Thanksgiving one, maybe. Yeah. I mean, people just all of a sudden forget to act in a found footage movie. I don't get it. Because found footage is supposed to be the most realistic reactions of people, yet we don't get that in those movies. And but here it, there was an extreme use of, like, people overreacting to something yes. horrifying. There was no yes. moment of them being stunned. It was immediately screaming like they're yes. uh, in the psycho shower, you know? <laughs> I totally agree. So, I mean, it really took you out of the movie. But the fanboy in me, I want to see more into this movie because you guys, we're talking about a few low-budget movies tonight. This movie was $40,000. So, I mean, we're talking an extremely low-budget, $40,000. I mean, Yeah, I mean, realistically, we're almost reviewing a student film here, really. Yeah, yeah, how much, I mean, what what more do you want out of a $40,000? dollar 85 minute movie or whatever it may be and then to um, hold the camera still yeah that would be that would have been nice that would have been nice and then just one last thing on this is i agree with uh bill what he said man the bones were there this was a great story i can see this being a really good book actually and i can see it being a good movie had it not been found footage and that that final act does get creepy it almost turns into a zombie movie because I don't want to give it away why and how things turn on a dime, but it just felt a little out of place the way it was executed, like you guys said. But still, I I, I really enjoyed this movie, and this is going to be a real unpopular opinion here, but I think I might have enjoyed this movie more than any other movie we're going to talk about tonight. I'm putting aside the shaky cam, the bad acting, I'm looking at the, the plot and the story of this, and it really intrigued me. It was original. It was pretty scary if something like this would actually happen on your street. So I'm a little higher on this. I'm more like an 8 to 8.5, but you know me. I gave feeders to a 6, so, I mean, take it, <laughs> take, take it, as, you, take it as you will. But I, I got a kick out of this, and thank you, Amy Lee. I thought it was a great choice. I thought it was a fun movie to talk about. It was definitely worth the watch. Yeah, and I mentioned like I, I after we watched this, I did uh, pop up and talk to Amanda and say, you know, it was it was more interesting than I was expecting in the, in the ideas mm-hmm. and things that it brought to the table. And yeah. with that, I did appreciate it. I think that uh, from that level, but I think the problem is because there's so many interesting ideas, uh, it would have made a killer, terrific short story. I think again, what what's happening to those people and what happens to them when suddenly they're missing time. I thought that part was terrifying. Uh, it goes back to the concepts of, of the original zombie idea, right? It's come from the I Am Legend story, and then the voodoo Haitian zombie idea of being locked in your body. And so they kind of blend those ideas. They start to blend those ideas, but there's no end game. Yeah, in, yeah. In, well, in, in, that. one thing we didn't mention, and again, not, it's not giving much away because I've, we've already yeah. said, this person in the basement that rose from the coffin is in the basement. And after the son gets risen from the wheelchair, they invite neighbors over. And what are your problems? Like, do you have yeah. like one person's death? One person has cancer. She heals them. Well, what takes place after that to me intrigues me. These people almost become like a cult. Yes. They, start bu- they start building like in their front yards, like these weird, um, was a Nathan kind of like like structures? They, Stru- they're, structures. They're, they're yeah, 
yeah. almost like in in honor of this person. So it's almost like they become a cult and just are just like almost Shrine. like this is the, they're they're erecting yeah, shrines. Like she's the Messiah. So it yeah. kind of it really was creepy in that aspect. But and if the sto- if the I'm sorry. No, go ahead. That's all I had to say about the movie was I thought it had a really creepy vibe to it. It was horrible movie making. The cinematography, the shaky cam, the acting, everything bad. I'm talking about purely the story here. The story is what elevated it for me. I thought it was a very original plot, and I really I enjoyed, for, for what it was, I did enjoy it. So thank you, Emily. Yeah, so, so for me, if we split the, if we split the, the filmmaking with the story, um, I'm going to go with a five for this one. It's a, I think for found footage fans, but it is a somewhat original story. So, uh, Seth, what was your rating on this one? I know you reviewed it, but I just want to get your rating out of 10. I'm going to probably give this one a three out of 10, to be honest with you. Like, uh, I, I agree with what everybody else has said as well, too. Like the concept is there. I, I think there is some cool existential type dread that shows up a little bit in this movie, a little bit. And some of the ideas again, if this was more of a straightforward narrative type of film, I think I would have enjoyed this a whole lot more. But for me, just the de-evolution towards the later half of this film just kind of drops it down completely for me. If anything, watch maybe the first, you know, the opening scene itself is pretty, it's a pretty good opening scene. It really kind of got me hooked right there. And maybe 15, 20 minutes past that. This is not a long movie at all, so you can rush through it pretty quickly if you need to. But other than that, I don't think you need to save longer than maybe 20, 30 minutes in this movie, and you kind of get the point at that time. Yeah, I'm not giving this a full recommend either. I, I think, though, that the ideas are there. If you are looking, if you're someone who likes to hunt down indie horror films with a low budget, it is probably worth your time. Um, so let's move on then. And and big shout out. Thank you, Amanda, for that suggestion. I think it was a, it was a good one. I'm not, I'm not uh, unhappy that I saw the film. So let's move on to Brian. Let's do your movie uh, that you picked for VOD Roulette. Well, thank you, Nathan. And first of all, let me apologize. I, I don't know why I said Amy Lee, obviously. Amanda Lee. In the Facebook group, she's great. And thank you for recommending that. Okay, my movie, I went through Tubi and just dug so deep. As deep as I could. I wanted to be like Bill. I wanted to pick out a stupid Tubi movie that just I've never heard of. And I, I, I would never advise anybody wanting to be like Bill. <laughs> you succeeded more than you know. I totally agree. <laughs> and this is Zombie Nightmare 1987. This movie, again, low budget, had a budget of $180,000. Yet, just going straight to video grossed $1.5 million. So, in their eyes, hey, it was a success. They made their money. But when you only invest 180000 in the VHS era of the 80s, I mean, you're going to make money. So what surprised me about this movie was, before I can get into the plot, they had Motorhead and some great music. Like, did all the budget go to their music rights? I don't even know. And this movie, when I was searching it on Tubi, there was a Mystery Science Theater version of it, so that might tell you the cheese value of this movie. Mystery Science Theater actually covered this. So, The opening scene to Zombie Nightmare 1987 is an extremely 80s movie. I mean, this is a pin. I mean, this is what you think of in the 80s. 
when you when you, when you think of a low budget copycat type, let's do a cheese eighties movie. After leaving a little league baseball game, a guy tries to defend a girl from being attacked by two guys. He gets stabbed and killed. Now fast forward, of course, we you know in every eighties movie like Blood Rage, we talked about Bill. You know, you got this crazy opening eighties scene that ties in later on. Well, later on, this guy's son. You know, the hero that saved the, the girl in the beginning. His son, Tony, he's a diehard baseball player. It opens up with him on the baseball diamond, hitting home runs. He's a star of the team. Well, he's Mr. Good Guy. After leaving his, you know, baseball game or whatever, softball game, who knows what he was playing, he um goes by a gas station and... It's so cheesy. These two guys try to rob the gas station. Tony walks in. He tackles them. He beats them up. Like, there's a really cheesy scene where they're outside, and he basically does a wrestling move and clotheslines them. I mean, they would have shot him. I mean, honestly, if this was real life. But, um, so then, right after that, I mean, this is all like this, really a kind of stupid, pointless setup, because... <coughs> 20 minutes in, there's five teenagers. <clears throat> One of them's Tia Creer, surprisingly. They're driving the road, and they hit him after he leaves this big hero act. They hit him and kill him on the road with their car. Well, they freak out, so they're driving away. I'm sorry, guys. Do you hear fireworks? I'm actually, I went inside. There's fireworks booming everywhere. So they hit him in the car and kill him. Well, Somebody picks him up. They whisk him away back to his mom's house. She's devastated. So what she do? She calls the little girl that his dad saved in the opening scene that was being attacked by the two girls. Now she is a witch, apparently, with a really bad Jamaican accent. I mean, these scenes with this witch are almost, un to me, it drug on and was so unbearable. <laughs> so she decides, hey, let, we're going to resurrect him, and he could take revenge on these five kids that ran him over. Even though one guy was driving, I mean, what did the other four people do? I mean, what did they do wrong? They don't deserve to die, but hey, it's an 80s movie, so let's get revenge on them. And that's basically where the movie plot goes to. And what I described was only the first 20 minutes. So we have a re revived zombie baseball player guy. He uses a baseball bat as a weapon, which is quite original, I guess. He actually stabbed somebody with his baseball bat, which I don't even know how you do that. It's not sharp at all, but another thing that surprised me about this movie was for the $180,000 budget, they got a lot of great songs, but they also got Adam West, Batman, as the captain of the police station. Now, maybe he was working for low pay by the time 1987 came along. I don't know. But, I mean, it seems like a pretty big get for, a, you know, such a low budget. And then you had a real young Sean Levy actor who now directs some big movies. Like, like he's directing Deadpool 3 that comes out next year. And he did some big stuff. And he was and one of the kids. Strange Things. Yeah, Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah. He did some of those. And, uh, and then, of course, I mentioned Tia Career who was pretty big at the time, I think. I mean, this is 1987. I don't know. When, I remember when Wayne's World came out. 
1991, so it's just right before. So so maybe she was just getting going. So she wasn't quite as big of a get as I thought then, I guess. But, um, yeah, I got a little more to say about this. Not much. I mean, I pretty much described it. I mean, this kind of turns into a slasher movie with a zombie that walks around with, like, almost feels like two broken legs. He stumbles around stupidly. And there's some good scenes, like, you know, he chases a couple, you know, the whole plot is he's chasing around these five kids that ran him over. And the witch kind of psychically helps him go find them, which I think was a stupid subplot. And it's almost like it becomes a slasher movie in the second two thirds. There are some great scenes where he hunts around, hunts a couple of them down in a gymnasium type thing, you know. I mean, I love 80s movies. I still did really like this. It's probably not something I'll ever pop in again. Don't get me wrong, but I'm coming in about a 7 out of 10 on this, which isn't bad. I mean, it was worth a watch, but it probably won't be something I turn on again. But, I mean, hey, it's the 80s. What are you, you going to do, you know? So what would you guys think about this blind pick I had here? <laughs> We're all sitting waiting to see who's going to jump in. Yeah, who's going to jump on this mask? You know what? I'll take it right away. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the director is Jack Bravman, who listen to the title of some of his films. The Wetter the Better. All in the Sex Family. Girl Busters. Perhaps he did some, let's call them blue films along the way. Uh, the main star, John Fasano, was in that uh, heavy metal horror, Black Roses. But he also wrote another 48 Hours and Darkness Falls. Um, Adam West, of course, and Tia Carrera, of course. The other person in the cast you might know is Frank Dietz. Uh, Frank Dietz did uh, some acting in that movie, Hales, uh, Tales of Halloween, but he was also a writer on Creepshow 2022. So he's still kind of kicking around the business. Great opening song with Ace of Spades. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, oh, you're starting with Motorhead. Fantastic. The other aspect that had me going is it, you can tell it's low budget. You're watching it. He's at the convenience store and there's a robbery goes on and what have you. I'm sitting there going, they're selling O'Keefe beer. This has got to be Canadian. <laughs> and it was shot in Pierrefonds, Quebec. And uh, so, yeah, on the outskirts of uh, Montreal. So, yeah, uh, I was like, okay, so it's it's got shot in Canada. I got to love this. Oh, boy. The singer, Thor, uh, is the main, uh, one of the main actors. Uh, He was a singer. I knew him as a kind of like a heavy metal singer back in the early to mid 80s. Yep. Uh, A musician. He's probably more known, obviously, for his singing and that the band Thor had multiple members, but he was always in it. So he, 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 he I think it was, I just, <laughs> it was him. It was, you know, yeah. he, he was kind of like uh, a, a 10th of a Glenn Danzig, you know, that kind of, that kind of deal. I, I'm sorry, Brian. I, I love you to death. I, I couldn't get into this movie. I, well, well, da- first of all, Danzig rules and man, I don't blame you one bit. Uh, Bill. <laughs> I, I, Man, I'm a sucker for 80s slashers slash anything, but I'm with you, man. There, I think there's a reason 
I had never heard of this movie. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I, Adam Adam West, I think, needed an expansion <laughs> to his house. I don't know why I, you get involved in this. I yeah, I totally agree. Uh, there was a, another actor in here was Sean Levy, and Sean Levy, uh, as you guys talked about, produced Free Guy and Stranger Things. So he went from this to obviously bigger and better. At one point, there's some things going on in a park. Nobody in the town notices an open casket or a witch in their main park. Depends on the town. I mean, if that happened in, you know, like, like <laughs> I don't know. Springfield, around here, nobody would notice. Springfield, yeah, Illinois, yeah. Springfield, Wisconsin, every spring. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, the makeup was, I thought, um, I would say it differently, but it was blank poor. It was, it was poor. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. The, the kills were not unique. I didn't find it all that engaging. I love a good slasher. I love a good 80s film. I, you guys know I've watched just about everything. I'm sorry. I couldn't give this more than 2 out of 10. I, I wow, just, 2 out of 10. See, I yeah. went with like a 6.5 to a 7, but I don't blame – you know. Bill, do you remember on the Christmas episode when I gave you a lot of crap when uh, I gave Magic Christmas for oh, you a six, six out of ten? Magic Christmas for you. Um, I'm going to – and I was mad you gave that a two out of ten. Because, <laughs> because Magic Christmas tree felt like something that would just pop on at Christmas time and you just kind of flippantly watch on TV. I'm going to – I don't blame you at all for this two out of ten. I mean, this is not a good movie. This is not one – that I would recommend to anybody. I'll just say that now. So I, I'm not defending this movie whatsoever. It was a blind pick. Nothing I would suggest to anybody. So I, I totally hear what you say on that, Bill. If I could hear more Motorhead and Girl School, I would have been yeah. out of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what impressed me. I couldn't believe they got some of those gets as far as music. I mean, like 90% of their budget must have went to music and Adam West. <laughs> because I don't know where the rest of the budget went to. I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> it sure wasn't that witch lady. Oh my god, that was unbearable. Yeah. Well, I I get I can basically uh, just repeat everything you guys just said. I did watch this movie with a smile on my face. For that, I will give it a generous three because I kind of was amused watching it, but it is absolutely as bad as you guys said, and I think it's just some places, it's just not bad enough. Like, you know, it is Mystery Science Theater quality, but it's not, like, spectacularly bizarrely awful. It's just sort of just blandly Like, did you bad. just find those police officers just awful? <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah. So, instead of actually talking about the movie, I was reading the Wikipedia, which is far more entertaining, because it has some, some little uh, gems of information. So, the uh, Manuska Regard, who played the voodoo priestess, she was a professional Tina Turner impersonator. So let that. Oh, there it. you go. <laughs> I can kind of see that actually. <laughs> oh, Brian, you're asking. This was Tia Carrera's first movie. Yeah. Oh wow. Debut. Yep. And I can see West that because you know a lot of people get their start it was horror movies, so I can see that. You're talking about West being at the center of all this. West was only on set for two days. And he just glanced at his script during his scenes. So it was sort of like he was just, you know, there phoning, literally, you know, almost just literally phoning it in. John Micklethor, who, who, like, you know, like you said, it's like, is he poor man's clan Danzig? And then, and of course, Danzig's not a thing really at this point in time. But, you know, to be fair, 
is this movie better than Veronica? Maybe. Oh, um, maybe. Yeah. Um, sure. is, it is, I'm going to say this on record. It is better than Veronica. It is better than Veronica. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've I want to give, you know. I was going to say, I did see more boobs in Veronica, though. I guess fair enough. Uh, well, it depends, depends on what you mean by boobs. You know, oh, that's think true. Of the other slang term of boobs. There were a lot of those walking around. Yeah, um, the role of Tony was originally given to bodybuilder Pee Wee Pamonte. Now, this is the best thing about all of this. He's in the production. He was fired for eating all the craft services and the meals of the crew members. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he was replaced by John Mickle Thor. Now, Thor goes on to make a movie called Rock and Roll Nightmare. I don't know if that was you know, trying to create some sort of franchise here because it has nothing to do with that except that he is playing full. That movie's more fun. And that's the fun bad movie you're looking for where he's playing a – uh, a rock star who ends up fighting the devil who throws uh, alien starfish at him at once at one point in the scene. The movie's completely gonzo. Look up Rock and Roll Nightmare. Don't mess with Zombie Nightmare. But yeah. I love that someone was fired for eating the craft services. <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear what Seth wants to chime in. But I will agree, guys. I, I apologize. This is probably going to be the worst, the worst movie that we watched tonight. But I you have to go, no apology I wanted to me. go. None. I wanted to go 80s, and it just blew up in my face. <laughs> that's the beauty of VOD roulette. Yes. That's, we've seen uh-huh. worse. We have seen worse. Yeah, show. true, true. I've heard the episodes. There may have been worse. Yeah. <laughs> Seth, how well, about you? You know, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago that Brian said that he had one of the most controversial opinions tonight so far, and I think I'm going to be the second person doing that because I love this movie. <laughs> I, <laughs> oh, hell yeah! I, 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 love, I had a I had a blast at this. Movie. I love when somebody loves '80s cheese like me. Okay, let, let's hear it, Seth. Yeah, Get and I love this movie. movie. Uh, you know, I I I think I've seen the MSC3K version years and years ago, but I didn't remember anything about it. But this is like my favorite type of bad horror movie is where <laughs> there's just so much ineptitude on the screen that it just ma- it made me laugh the entire way through it. Um, you know, starting off from like the first shot of the movie before you even get to the credits is like seeing this voodoo priestess go through her ritual and then it just slams into Ace of Spades, just making no sense whatsoever. Um, <laughs> Michael Thor is is just great in in presence, and I also will recommend um, uh, the other film, Rock and Roll Nightmare, as well too. Um, but everything, there's so much ineptitude on screen from the way that they like they're panning out the runtime. There is like anytime that you watch a car go anywhere, you're watching like the entire trip, or you watch like half of a tennis game going on. I love the interaction between the detective and the uh, the mortuary guy, just so insane like i want to watch a buddy cop kind of version of those two characters together um the kills are just terrible there's nothing exciting happening throughout the entire thing and i know this sounds terrible but just something about this movie just tickled me pink like i was smiling and laughing throughout the entire thing on an actual film rating scale definitely going to give this like maybe a, a a three out of 10 from my enjoyment <laughs> standpoint, it was an eight out of 10. Um, and like coming back to the Adam, coming back to the Adam West of it, I, I so had thought, cause the first shot that you see of him, it's just a close up of him. Like another detective comes into his office to come talk to him, but you don't see them both in the same shot. So it's just like on West's face the whole time. So I thought that was going to be his entire cameo for that movie. So I was more than 
that was probably the biggest twist of any of the films that I've seen tonight was that he was actually in on set with other actors for like more than a minute of runtime for this film. But honestly, if you do like really terrible <laughs> horror films that just make not a lot of sense, um, I think that you're going to have some fun with this movie. And, and again, I enjoyed this more than anything else that we watched in this whole lineup. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what, what, what I find amusing is IMDb says, you know, if you like this, there's more like this. This is what it compares it to, amongst others. Hell Knight, Brain Damage, and My Bloody Valentine, and Basket Case. Oh my god! They, they look like Are you not the movie. They they they, yeah. they look like Oscar winners. I agree. Oh my god, I agree. Yeah, all four of those are are, are yeah. way better. Let me just chime in one more thing. That um, these these cops are even as stupid as that last movie we talked about. They put an APB out on anyone big enough to snap someone's neck. <laughs> That's literally what they say. Cast a wide net. Yeah, like, isn't that everybody out there? I don't know. It, it, it's really cheesy, but I'm We've so glad that... ruled out the children. Yeah, I'm so glad Seth got something out of this like I did, because, like I said, I was at a 6.5... You know, I I rate my... one little side tangent here. I rate my movies on a... Um, I'm sorry about that. I rate my movies on a scale of how much I enjoy... God, these Somebody is here. very excited about this film. I think so. Let me step on something. The, the, um, I rate, kind of go back to the magic. It sounds like a siege outside. <laughs> I know, and I'm inside now, and I can still hear it, these neighbors. Um, they, they, I feel like um, they're about to break in and depose Brian while he's <laughs> reviewing this film. Zombie nightmare sucks. It, I'm going to get bottle rocket. It's Lemmy. It's, it's yeah. Lemmy coming back from the grave. But he's looking up at the microphone. He can't see where he's shooting the, uh, bottle rockets. But, um, uh, was I gonna say? God, I lost complete complete train of thought here. I was gonna say um something deep, something deep. Yeah, it probably was. Well, I don't even know. Okay. How much? How much more can we say about this? I, movie? Say, funny, I, I, I go to the goofs. I go to the goofs. It says, while Susie is running from the zombie through the sports club, she runs past several clearly marked emergency exits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, we yeah. I think this is the last thing we can say on it. The American cast and crew members are housed in an airport hotel with porn being played on every television channel, and they notice that Rodman's name appeared in the credits for many of the films. Noticing <laughs> 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 that the director of the film they were in was on most of these adult films. <laughs> thing at the hotel. Oh, I remember now. Uh, just real fast. Not that anybody cares what the hell I think, but I, I rate movie going back to the magic history. I, I understand filmography, cinematography, story, and I rate a lot of movies on story. I also rate mostly my ratings come from how much did I enjoy the movie? I mean, why do we watch movies? Why do we watch cinema? I mean, if you want to be a critic, I mean, that's great. I am critical too. Trust me. I'll sit there with my wife and she, and I'm like, God, look at this camera work. Oh my God. And she's like, shut up. You're running the movie for me. Just shut up. So I, I get that part of it, but I mostly rate movies on just how, how much did I enjoy the movie? And I got some enjoyment out of this. Sure, it's horrible. It's not even, it probably doesn't even reach that so bad it's good level. Like Seth said, I mean, it is bad, but it was worth a watch to me. I, I still think, I don't know if I'd recommend it to anybody because I'd be embarrassed to, but 
I got enjoyment out of it, and that's how I rate a movie. So I'll stick with my seven. I mean, I enjoyed it. And the other thing is, if you look at the poster, the girl on the poster mm-hmm. either just had the best orgasm of her life or a deep bong hit. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's got these two two goofy guys on the side. Yeah, you know. Hey, oh. it's a bong. It's a bong hit. You guys up in Canada are way more progressive than us. <laughs> So yeah, you guys yeah. know what freedom is. We're still learning that here in the United States. So are we splitting the difference on this, Seth? Are you giving this a six? Yeah, I guess I'll be a little bit more generous. Does it, that poster doesn't it, it kind of reminds me of the was it the invasion of the body snatchers in the nineties film? And all it the does. The nineties goes away. It, it's definitely not indicative of the film that they that happens at all. <laughs> no, I don't know who no. the characters are. There's going to be a $35, like, Vinegar Syndrome, like, 4K of this next year. You know it. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> By that point, I'll probably convince myself to buy it. But anyway, <laughs> let's go to, Seth, your pick of the uh, of the night. All right. So I picked a movie that was on Netflix. Uh, this is a movie I just kind of chose at random because the poster looked kind of cool. Uh, this is a movie from 2018 called The Wind by uh, director Emma Tammy, um, who has also directed a few episodes of that show, Into the Dark, that's also on Netflix as well, too. Uh, kind of a kid's Tales from the Crypt, Twilight Zone type of show. Uh, but I haven't seen anything else really uh, done by her. But this is a movie that takes place uh, during the settlement times in America uh, about basically a two couples who have settled out into, uh, I believe, in New Mexico. Um and about kind of what happens while they are out on the plains there. The uh, the film itself is is really it's shot in it's not in sequential order it kind of jumps around uh, a lot throughout the film itself so you kind of have to put a little some of the pieces together as you're kind of viewing the film which kind of makes it a little interesting but also in my opinion also kind of hinders the film a little bit in some ways uh, but basically this this couple uh, Lizzie and her husband Isaac they have been living out here by themselves for a long period of time and finally some new people have decided to settle out there as well Uh, there's some great shots in this movie it does look very pretty and it gives you uh, kind of that that horrific feeling of isolation um, and kind of what it must have been like to be out there by yourself and have to just rely on your own means to keep yourself safe while you're living out there, um, some great shots of uh, when the other family, uh, who I believe are Gideon and Emma, they settle kind of down uh, a ways from Lizzie and her husband, Isaac. Uh, they kind of settle away so you can see at night lights on that there are like, you know, the lantern hanging out in front of their house. And it's creepily shot. You can see it very far off in the distance. But there's some sort of presence, uh, this, you know, eponymous wind that is coming up and, and stirring up trouble there. There's uh, the death of a baby that happens somewhere in between here. You get some backstory about Lizzie and her husband and some of the things that they had previously gone through before Gideon and Emma had moved in there. There's a lot of things kind of playing under the surface, not so much specifically laid out directly for you, and you kind of have to make your own intuition about what has gone on here throughout this? Is there a real literal demon? Uh, is it something that these people are playing 
on each other? Is it this prairie madness that people have talked about before? So you're you're kind of uncertain throughout the entire film about where it's going or what what the meaning is behind that. Uh, I again won't go into full details to spoil the film for anybody who does want to see it. Uh, I really want to mostly focus on kind of the the the, the way this film was shot itself because that is kind of my biggest issue that I have about this film from something that could have made this a much higher ranked film for me because I don't think that there has been a lot of horror that's in this time frame that's really done really well uh you know the witch is something uh even something more like bone tomahawk that has, was was really good as well too um so this kind of falls into almost a similar style to that uh but because of the way that it's stylistically chosen to be made where it does jump around in the time frame of the story it kind of catches you off guard a lot and a lot of times i was just trying to figure out where we are in the story what part of the timeline are is going on here you know and i grew up in the age of quentin tarantino so i'm used to watching a film that is not filmed in sequential order but for some reason that did not work 100 percent for me and it took out some of the tension that I was feeling because I was just kind of getting lost uh, at the beginning of when they kind of switched the time frame there. Uh, other than that, the acting itself is is pretty good. Uh, there's nobody in here that I am super familiar with. Um, uh, I will say the the lead actress, uh, Caitlin Gerard, I believe her name is. Uh, she was really good in this. I did enjoy her performance, uh, as well as the the person who played Emma uh, as well too. She did really well. Both of the female leads did good in their roles. Um, this is not something, again, this is not super, super high for me. I'd probably give this from like a filmmaking standpoint about maybe a seven out of 10 or so for me. Um, it did leave me wanting something more. It just kind of felt like it was missing something that I would have really liked to see in there. And again, if this had been more of a linear storyline, the way that it was told, I think I would have gotten much more out of this or the tension would have grabbed me a little bit more. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily that you should skip over. There is some good stuff in there. The cinematography itself is is one reason alone to watch it because they do capture that emptiness uh, of living out in that time frame and how terrifying that must have been when something was going on outside that you could not explain. Um, so I'll uh, that's kind of my basic thoughts on the film. Like I said, about a seven out of ten is where I would rank that one. Uh, Nathan, I'll pass that over to you next to see uh, what your thoughts were on the wind. Nathan, I think you might be on mute. Yeah, I was on mute, and then that's probably better because uh, it sounds like the finale is playing over Burbank. Oh, <laughs> it's insane out here. I just unmuted it to say Nathan, I'm here. I was like, yeah, well, you know, when we when you make this movie and I saw the poster, I was like, oh, very cool, because I really I remember really wanting to see this movie. And then for whatever reason, couldn't remember why I hadn't seen it. And then. I sat down to watch it and I suddenly like, oh wait, I remember renting this movie with a group, with a group of guys that came over whenever it came out. It was on VOD and renting it, but I probably, you know, uh, rented it and then probably fell asleep because I remember seeing the first 30 or 40 minutes of it. And then it was one of those deals where I had it for a couple of days. The rental window closed before I could get to finish watching it and I just never got a chance to go back to it. So I was happy to see the whole film. Uh, I'm, you know, rating wise, I'm basically right there with you, Seth, although I may have enjoyed the film a little bit more. I agree that the structure of the film is kind of, it's almost needlessly convoluted, uh, that it wants to be a kind of psychological thriller, and I love this sub 
sub sub sub genre, right? It's not you don't get many films that are the sort of psychological supernatural western that take place within this this pioneer time frame. Uh, there are very few of them. I tend to like them as a genre, but uh, you very rarely get ones that are really good. I, you know, like you said, The Witch, which is not really, uh, it doesn't have that lonely prairie kind of vibe going to it. I remember a USA movie from the, the 90s called Into the Badlands that had uh, Bruce Dern in it. It was like an anthology of stories. I remember enjoying that one. Bone Tomahawk is probably one of the best of this yes. genre. That's exactly, I was going to interject with that. Bone Tomahawk, yes. Yeah, although that one goes more in like the lonesome dub sort of Western adventure kind of things. And this one does things that's psychological similar to something like The Witch. Uh, and then you also have uh, elements that remind me of a film called The Burrowers uh, that came out, I think, in like 2009 or thereabouts. And I kind of enjoyed that one. Uh, J.T. Petty's film that involved these creatures that were under the ground. Uh, but thematically, you had that lonesome prairie feel again. And it is such a great, like, atmospheric place to set a film. Like, the idea that you're out here by yourself and uh, what resistance do you have when your mind starts to go or you're vulnerable to attack? I mean, I remember the film Unforgiven where he just kind of like leaves his kids there. Okay, kill a chicken if you get hungry. And you're thinking, maybe <laughs> I either do or don't want to see a movie about what happens to those two kids while he's away doing his thing. You know, this, these people, the people that are left behind. And that, that was elements of the Burrowers, and that's elements of this. And I liked the psychological interplay. And what I, my biggest complaint with the film is that the, the psychological story that they're telling is, and maybe that's why it's so kind of convoluted structure, is that it feels kind of slight. Like what, when you tell the story, if we were to explain, and I don't think we should because we want, you know, we want to keep this spoiler free for the most part. If I were to tell you in terms of what happens in this movie, it really, wouldn't sound that amazing or impressive, right? Because uh, it's rather slight. But the way that they structure the film creates a sense of mystery and makes everything more ominous, I think, than it may really be. Where I thought the film could have excelled is delving into something that happens in the second half of the film when she meets this kind of reverend who's coming along, he's, a tra he's traveling along, and he gives her this pamphlet that talks about the demons of the prairie, and this idea yes. of these forces that are preying upon the people who are weak and uncertain and guilty out on the plains, like that idea, and what it's doing to her mind, like that's the film I want to see more of. I want to see more of those supernatural elements, and that's what often happens with this genre. You get these weird ideas, another one, Grim Prairie Tales, that had uh, was another anthology, and I think that one uh, it had James Earl Jones and Brad Dourif like swapping the stories. And a similar feel with these very compelling mythology building ideas about what this sort of untamed land is doing to people with fragile sort of psyches. That's where the meat of this movie is, and there's a lot of it here. It's just that I feel that the atmosphere is on point, the creepiness is on point. But in the movie ends, I again, I saw 40 minutes of this movie and then had never finished it. And yet the feeling I had at the end of 40 minutes versus the end of the entire film was about the same. It felt like the wind was just kind of blowing through my fingers a little bit. That being said, I think it was a very enjoyable experience to see. And a lot of the ideas continue to play in my head. It just felt unfulfilled. So maybe a little bit under a 7, maybe a 6.5. 
would recommend it, particularly for people who love folk horror. I think that is where this story falls. Or psychological horror, that's also where this story falls. I think that the acting is all very good. I think Hitler Gerard carries the movie and keeps it from being uh, a complete missed opportunity. You know, I think she keeps it moving. And, and, and also Lynn Moncrief's cinematography, which is one of, for me, probably the main reason to see the film. But I did like it, and I, I kind of just wish that it had found a stronger, sturdier base to the story it was telling. Yeah, I, and like I said, like I said, uh, the dread factor because of the way that it jumps around, it kills a lot of that time where you're you're it's been built up and then it just kind of cuts to something that's completely different or like had happened months beforehand. So it's just like you're you're in that state and then you just kind of have to wind back up back to that point again. Um, this is very different. Uh, what I'm gonna just suggest and then Bill, I'll go to you next after that. Um, but if I think the wind, if it would have been told as just a straight structured narrative. There's another movie uh, that has an opening 30 minutes, at least about 30 minutes of it, uh, called The Empty Man, uh, which is, again, very different from what we're talking about here. But I think that opening 30 minutes of The Empty Man uh, really kind of captures that type of isolation and fear that of the kind of unknown and, and what is transpiring around it. I, can't, I think that 30 minutes captures that in a better way in some ways for me than the wind did throughout the entirety because of the narrative style that it was told in. Um, but let's go over uh, to Bill next. Bill, what did you think about this one? It was an interesting film. Uh, I saw that it was on Netflix and I mean, not everything on Netflix is gold or anything, but I knew that it had a certain standard. So my expectations were slightly higher in this one. Uh, I know that Caitlin Gerard had been an in insidious, the lost key. Uh, I knew that Julia Galdani Tellis had been in Slender Man and that Ashley Zuckerman had been in all three of the Fear Street. So there were people in this film that had some credence to the genre. So I was like, okay, we got, I don't know the director, but I know some of the actors who have been in other things. Let's go in with an open mind because I do like the melding of horror and Western. Uh, the other one that's, I think, in the genre that wasn't brought up because it's not exactly the same at all is Ravenous. I thought Ravenous was a, a good one in the film, but it's a much, much different film. Uh, this one, as you guys have said, it's a slow burn. Uh, it's built on atmosphere and mystery. So as much as it is a horror, it slowly becomes from a mystery of what the heck is going on from the opening. Like, I don't want to give too much away, but the opening is a woman holding a baby covered in blood, and then it cuts away. So you're immediately sucked in. What happened? Why is this happening? Why is there a child in peril, et cetera, et cetera? You want to keep going. It really sets it up well. I like that the film was well shot. There were a lot of nice soft tones to the film. The landscape and cinematography was done well. My problem is I don't mind a slow burn if it has a vision to it. I found this one kind of all over the place. Like you got a little bit of the shining in terms of it's someone becoming unhinged as the psychological film. I don't want to go too deep into it because I want you to discover kind of what I'm talking about, but there is elements of Jack Nicholson to the characters in here. Uh, there's lots of flashbacks, as you alluded to. 
I thought the musical score was actually fairly strong uh, for the film. You know, it all, you also get elements of supernatural. You get elements of creature feature. You get elements of the land and how the weather there plays a part in this or lack thereof. You know, is there something out there? That's all I'm going to say. Is there something out there? And you have to kind of watch. At the end, I felt a little bit unfulfilled. Like, I almost felt like, what was the point of the film? I almost got a little bit art house, art house type. Um, I thought, like uh, Nathan was saying, they could have delved a little bit more into the mythology of the, of the demons. I thought that would have meant a little bit more than maybe the comings and goings of marital problems. But at the end of the day, I wasn't upset that I watched it. Stylistically shot, know that going in. You're not going to get, if you're looking for constant action, if you're looking for quote-unquote kills or creatures, you're not going to get that. But what you're going to get is kind of a, a character-driven psychological with elements of horror sprinkled in there. I I was slightly less than you guys. I gave it a 6 out of 10. That's awesome, Bill. So, uh, let's see, Brian, uh, if you are done with the Battle of the Blitzkrieg, can you tell yeah, us what you yeah. thought of How, how is Kabul? <laughs> yeah. I stepped, it's, it's crazy out there, so I stepped inside. So, with this movie, I totally agree. This thing was shot really well. I didn't really care for, like, the dark blue filter on it, because with a Western movie, I want to see more yellows, I guess, but maybe the blue kept with the tone of the movie. And, um, Seth, I'm glad you brought up The Empty Man, because that movie did have a great opening, and I really liked that movie. And I do agree with you guys. I prefer more of a linear story for, I mean, unless I'm watching, like, a Tarantino movie or something like Memento, you know, I prefer a more linear story without the forced, like, exposition in the beginning. You always see those movies where, like, they show the big scene in the beginning that they're going to come to at the end to try to draw you in. I mean, give us more credit. We don't need that in the beginning. Like we're, we're here, we're watching the movie, let it develop as it should. And, um, but yeah, it was shot really well, but you know, maybe I'm comparing that to zombie nightmare, but but compared to that, (laughs) I mean, shot amazing. And, um, a horror Westerns are great. And Bill, yeah, Ravenous is a great movie. Not that it has anything to do with this, but that's a great kind of Western movie. And um I I agree, Bill. It should have went a little... I agree with how you brought The Shining. I mean, I don't want to give too much away about this movie because that's kind of the mystery of it. But it's more of a psychological thriller to me. And that's what I did like about this movie. What, in my opinion, this is the type of movie that I think a second watch, after you watched it once, I think on a second watch, it may be better. I really do. And, but this movie does have creepy vibes. And there's stuff I like about this movie, like when she, a character puts a double barrel shotgun in her mouth. And those scenes like that to me are intense. I love scenes that keep me on edge, and there's a lot of edgy scenes in this movie. There's one scene where um, the the girl's pregnant and hiding under her bed, 
and the other woman wants to help her. She said, you need sleep. This is, like, is this what doctors did back then? I don't know. Or just a friendly neighbor. She puts chloroform on a uh, napkin <laughs> and basically fights her and knocks her out because you need sleep. If that horrible bedside manner there, if somebody was doing that, oh, man, that would make me mad. But um, I'm looking through, <laughs> I'm looking through my notes here, and I this movie's hard. This is one of those movies that's hard to talk about without giving much away because after I watched the movie, I went to a few websites you know, like ending explained and that type of thing. And it really shut out. You know, I came in at a six out of 10 on this movie after I watched it. I'm like, eh. and, but then after I read the breakdown and analysis of the movie, and then I thought back more, it just went up to a seven out of 10 for me because it does have some great psychological horror to this movie. And it's, it's hard to talk about it because I don't want to give a lot away, but like, again, I'm going to go back to, I think on a, I think on a second watch, this movie would be way better for some reason. And I usually don't say that because I like, I like to be surprised, but then some movies you have to go back and watch again and kind of now that you realize what's going on, I think, I think, you know, so seven out of 10, it was nothing amazing, but I would recommend this movie to people. It's on Netflix right now. And I, I think Seth had a good pick with this one. So that's my thoughts on it. I, I, you're probably right, uh, Brian, that a second watch, and mm-hmm. to be fair, I, I, this wasn't my second time for seeing it. It was my second time for seeing the first half, but that was about it. It was uh, your 1.5. Would, yeah. yeah, by 1.5. It probably would result in a, a stronger feeling on it going forward. So let's the, and, and there is there is something to be said about Western horror because we don't get a lot. I of agree. That. We don't have much of it. So I, I, mean, I you, enjoyed you brought, it and appreciated yeah. it for that. Yeah, it's something original. You got Bone Tomahawk, like you mentioned, which is fantastic. I mean, uh, mostly because of the cast, you know, Kurt Russell, uh, Matthew, uh, whatever, and um, from Lost, and um, Sid Haig, of course, you know, so many actors in that movie. And then Bill Brough, Ravenous. I mean, Western horror is a, is a, a very lightly tapped genre. And I don't know, you know, because when people want to go with more of a period piece. It seems like it's like a Robert Eggers going back to the witch times or the Northmen type stuff. You know, they want to go really back in history. But do we get many, like, cowboy, you know, late 18, like, 1880s to 1890s type horror movies? No, we don't. We don't get many of those, and that's what we got here. So if just for that aspect of it, if you want to see something different, this is a movie that's worth a watch, in my opinion. Yeah, totally, totally agree. So... Uh, we'll move on, and I will. Uh, Bill, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Uh, I can go first. That's fine. Yeah, let's. When I had mine, I have a whole folder full of films that were that I have set aside for this. But I just kind of went into a search for the uh, a movie to do, and so y- you want something fun, ladies and gentlemen? Just go into Tubi and type in random adjectives, and just see what comes up. And that's basically what I did for this. And I've been one to know to watch anything from 1905 to 2022. So I found one that's somewhat interesting. And it's going back there, one of the older films we've gone over. And this is 1945's Fog Island. Now, it's only 72 minutes. 
Not a long film. Uh, it is on Tubi, uh, at least in Canada. I now realize there are differences, but obviously you guys are able to find it. It's probably on YouTube, uh, probably on Prime. Uh, I might even be in public domain. So what is this film about? An inventor recently released from prison invites a group of former business associates to a holiday in his island home, intending to exact revenge on them. So this is obviously 1945, so it is black and white. But actually, I think that adds to the allure and atmosphere of this film. Now, this was directed by Terry O. Morse. And going back into Terry O. Morse, he worked on Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which was the American sequel, I guess, to Godzilla. Uh, it was like the American repackaging of Godzilla. The repackaging. All they did was add, uh, what's his name, Perry Mason in there. <laughs> yeah, they, they just threw him in there. And But he also worked on Godzilla in 1977, uh, directed that one. So he obviously loved the franchise and kept with it for quite a while. It stars someone you might, you might actually know if you're a, a horror aficionado, and that's George Zuko. And George Zuko did a lot of poverty row, lower budgeted films. For example, a couple of the ones that I've seen of his there are The Mad Monster, uh, Dead Man Walk. I haven't seen this one, but he was in a film called House of Frankenstein. So I gotta find, find that one. Another name you might know is Lionel Atwill. Uh, Lionel Atwill was in Captain Blood, Man Made Monster, which actually isn't a bad film, actually. And he was in, a, I think, a 1945 or 1946 version of Captain America. So for all you, I'm going to hold my breath. DC comic? Is that DC comic? Uh, Is that Marvel? There you go. Okay, see, that that, that shows my knowledge. Uh, Captain America from 1946 or something. So it's obviously, compare that to something more modern. Uh, it's got Jerome Cowan, who is in the movie High Sierra and the Maltese Falcon. And Veta Ann Berg, who played, who was in the films, uh, Kid Galahad and the Alamo. So, and this film is also based on the play Angel Island. Now, the version that is on Tubi, was kind of brought down a little bit because I, it wasn't the cleanest version. Let's just say uh, every once in a while, something would skip or, you know, it wasn't the, the best of uh, original f- uh, film transfers is what I'm trying to say. So what happens in the beginning, a mystery man is seen watching a woman through the drapes. So is this like a, a pervert? Is this, is there something nefarious going on in the house? Is this a jogger walking by? We're not sure. And it kind of plays itself out. The music is very suspe- suspenseful. It's really big on setting the mood based on the music. So Zuko invites former associates to his house on Fog Island. And they are former associates that set him up to do jail time. So Zuko plays a character. Let me just bring it down. Leo Grainer, a.k.a. Granger, who was a scientist of some note. And people around him uh, didn't quite like what he was doing and kind of set him up as a patsy for jail time. And I think he did five years in jail. And this is his kind of way of getting back at him. Okay. So this is low budget and the lighting is bad. Although I don't know if the actual shot was bad or just the transfer was bad. But, I mean, seeing as it's basically a poverty row film, 
you got to assume that the uh, set the design and the lighting is, you know, not a hundred percent. Although the the house itself that it's set at isn't bad. I think they probably maximized the amount of money they had. So the mystery of this film is being set up. Why was he set up to go to jail? It turns out that Zuko's wife was murdered. Why was, she, or was she murdered? Zuko suspects one or more of them that he's inviting murdered her. And he's going to have to try to flush all that out. And if he doesn't flush that out, at least the ramifications of the night will settle the score in his uh, estimation. All right. So he sets up the house with all kinds of little booby traps and hidden doors and things behind closets, kind of hoping that everybody's kind of going to get in on the action. Okay. So he, uh, the house was built by pirates. All right. And he lives with his stepdaughter. Okay. So it opens up. She's kind of sitting on the couch. It takes her a minute or two to figure out what she has to do with it. And he starts inviting all of these former so-called associates who ended up getting him in jail. So they're all invited to a dinner party. But when they get there, there's no telephone uh, in, uh, in the house. Like you're, you're basically you're there. You're not escaping until the end of the night and they let you out. So it's got a, a little bit of that 13 ghost house on Haunted Hill kind of deal. You know, the people who were, who were given invitations were a for, one of them was a former secretary. One of them was a former a psychic, uh, and other business associates. And when they get there, they're mingling, they're having drinks. They're just kind of doing small talk and they're each given a small package with things wrapped up in plain paper. So each person receives a small little trinket and they don't know why at the beginning. So for example, one person's given a key, one has a pen, one has a ceramic skull, one has a, a math book with times tables. One of them has a chisel. Why? What is the mystery? What significance do these things have? So you're really setting it up for, you know, almost a, like a 10 little Indians, you kind of figure based on those of us who've watched enough of these, people are going to start dying. Who's going to survive? It's kind of an early survival film set in a spooky old house full of booby traps and characters that you really don't invest yourself into. You really don't care per se if some of them live or die. You just kind of want to see how it plays out. You know, is Vincent Price hiding behind some drapes or is this a William Castle film? You don't know what's going on with this. Okay. So there's lots of clues. There's lots of suspects. There's lots of false clues and red herrings. So it's got elements of Giallo from 1945 because they want you to think of this person and that person and this person and that person. You're really kind of left guessing to until the end, okay? There are some hokey special effects, okay? Uh, a desk at one point gets lifted, and you're like, ah, any second-rate hack, a magician could pull that off. But there are lots of layers to this story. It's like an onion. You just peel, and there's layers and layers and layers. There's a rumor of a fortune that was buried in the house. So everybody... And and you know that most of the characters don't have a pure heart. They're we're just after the money. 
And what will people go to when money's involved of a significant sum? They're obviously all going to go for the jugular to try to take out the money. It's a fun, dark, spooky house film with Zuko kind of sitting in the background, seeing how everybody reacts to the clues and how they will react and how human nature will kick in looking for the money. There's also aspects to one of my favorite films of all time, Clue. And you kind of get that old house without the goofy comedy, but more in that old house. It's dark. It's scary out. There's a storm out. Everybody's kind of got the same goal, but you don't know about the uh, desires of everybody who's there. What is their reasons? Okay. There's some action sequences as the drama and the mystery plays itself out. There's also a small aspect angle of romance that gets involved in this. There's some, and there's some nice effects involving water towards the end. I went in with zero expectations on this because you don't know what you're going to get. I ended up really enjoying it. Now saying, is it a cinematic masterpiece? No. Uh, but take into account the budget, the era, and the story arc that's there, I give this a strong 7 out of 10. Uh, Nathan, what did you think of this one? You know, and I, the the overall film itself, I did enjoy for what it was, which is, like you said, it's sort of one of those, uh, it's a combination of sort of the old dark house sort of idea and then the drawing room mystery where everyone's sort of exploring the house. You know, it's, it is like Clue. It's a little bit like House on Haunted Hill. There's there's elements of Agatha Christie all over the place. The movie is definitely sort of a low-budget take on that, so it isn't entirely serious, but there's a certain kind of just fun, I find, in watching these sorts of movies. It was a movie I could watch with my kids, and I don't think that the who, not the who done it, but the sort of mystery aspects of the story are all that strong, but it's kind of fun to watch these characters kind of pick their way through this setting. However, I will say this, that while I enjoyed the movie, this experience was extremely frustrating. And you kind of alluded to it, Bill. You talk about Fog Island. I felt like I was staring through the fog to see this movie. And that's entirely down to a couple of things. The, the big one, of course, being that the transfer that's on Prime, where I think I saw it, and I don't think YouTube is any better, uh, looks like somebody videotaped an old TV monitor that was playing a ragged VHS, and then on top of that, they just kept moving the camera up and down. Honestly, the copy of Fog Island that's online, in both audio and visual, reminds me of when, you know, back in the day, one of your family members would say, hey, I got this movie that isn't out from the theaters yet, and they would have that copy that was like a cam job where this was only missing people's heads down front and center. You know, it felt, it felt, the version I watched for all the world felt like it was somebody videotaping a screen or even a theater playing the movie. And because of that, it was so hard to kind of get invested in what was happening and see everything clearly. I have no clue what this movie actually looks like in terms of its construction because the frame kept moving and bouncing around. Sometimes I thought, well, this isn't very well shot. It's not very well lit. It could be a pristine, wonderful noir with, I don't know that that's the case. And so uh, what seemed like amateurish direction and, and, and lighting and even blocking of the shots may not be the case, but it was hard to really tell. That being said, I did have a good time watching it, but it was also a frustrating time because I, I felt like I was working so hard 
to kind of get into it. But these movies sort of are, you know, if I have a sort of like a genre that's sort of my catnip, it's easy to go to. It's these sort of films that put all the characters in one space and there's a sort of mystery to solve. Uh, again, this isn't a very uh, rigorous or even twisty film. I think it's pretty easy to see where it's going. I kind of do like where it goes towards the very end of the movie and you get comeuppances and you get some subterfuge and things like that. I think the acting is fine. There's nothing really stunning in this. It definitely feels like those poverty row sort of character actors brought together. There's nothing that really distinguishes it, but um, I did enjoy it. There was nothing about it that really bothered me. But again, the problem is I don't even know I can recommend. It's hard to recommend this in the current state that it's in. If you had someone clean this up like a criterion or something like that and maybe pull it together with some other films, I'd be all about recommending it. Uh, again, if you don't have to pay to see it, that's one thing. But it was hard to sit through the presentation, which isn't the same as the film. So I'm kind of going on a, a six here. I, I Probably the film is a little bit better than that. But the version that's here is the, the, the quality of the version is even lower than that. The quality of what you're watching is like a four. But I'll give the movie a six. Brian, what was your thought on this one? I'm going to echo what you guys said exactly. It really took me out of the movie, the cinematography, and more importantly, the lighting. And is, the the title is Fog Island. Was there fog in the house? Because that's what it looked like through a camera <laughs> lens. And maybe it was to transfer to Tubi. I mean, who knows? If you get the Blu-ray release, if there even is one, maybe it looks way, way better. But I'm going to put all that aside. And judge it on its characters and a story. And I love that both you guys brought up a, my first note on this movie is Clue. I mean, this is a Clue movie. Did did the makers of Clue 1985 watch this movie? Because they must have. Because the opening, well, not the opening scene, but basically the person that invites all these people there, they give them all a gift. Some of them weapons. I mean, a Clue, is, they're all weapons, obviously. In this movie, it could be a key, it could be a pen, it could be a little notepad. Everything's so mysterious in it. And then you get the home loan aspect that you talked about. Prior to everybody coming, when he sends out the invites, he likes it. He sets up all these little traps with his buddy, especially in a room with a with a fake. Um, I don't want to go too much into it, but some trickery is involved where he knows. These people are coming for one reason. They want his fortune, and they want to take advantage of him. And he knows that, and he prepares accordingly. So I did like that part of the movie. Um, I, I found it funny, kind of like in the Clue scene. You know, Tim Curry comes in. He kind of introduces everybody, says the what the theme of the night is. Well, this guy, he sets everybody down. And he says, somebody killed my wife. Good night. And he goes up to bed. Like, what a weird, like, if somebody invited me to their party and gave me some weird gifts and said, when you kill my wife and then went up to bed, I would be a little suspicious of what is the motive. Why am I even here? But they know why they're there. They want to steal his fortune. So I like that aspect of the movie. Um, let's see here. Um Nathan, why do I keep going back to to Magic Christmas Tree that we talked about? Nathan, in that review, <laughs> said 
and, and guys, I hate this movie. I don't even know why I keep bringing it up, but Nathan and <laughs> that Nathan and that review said, "Was this film like stored in a vault for fifty years? Because it looks so bad." I mean, this movie. That's the one downfall of the movie. I wish it would have been a better transfer because yeah. this is nineteen. This is nineteen forty-five. Okay, sure, they don't have the budget of a Wizard of Oz that was six years earlier, but there's movies at this time that look incredible. So there's no excuse to have a movie look this bad. But I'm not going to really lay much blame on the filmmakers because I don't know. Like you said, maybe the transfer to Prime and Tubi. It's just bad. I don't. I really don't know. But man, that is the one downfall of the movie. So, but when I'm talking about the story, the characters, the acting was great, and the last 15 minutes was nutty. I th- this is only like a one hour and 10 minute movie, and or no, no, an hour and five minutes, I think even. So it doesn't take long to get to the fact of the last 20 of the movie. 20 minutes of the movie goes crazy. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of payoff in this movie. So put aside the fact of it doesn't look great, no. But this movie's worth a watch. And I'll come in again at a 7. I'm, no, I'm going to bump this up to a 7.5 out of 10. You know, when I first turned this on, I'm going to be honest with you, I fell asleep. And I was like, oh, my God, i got to watch this movie. But then, <laughs> <laughs> but then. Like a week ago, I flipped it back on, and I'm like, you know, I I like this movie. I liked it. So the only downfall to me was the cinematography or even maybe it was the transfer, but I, I'll, I'll go at least a 7, 7.5 on this. I liked it. What about you guys? What about Seth over there? Seth, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I don't have a lot more, honestly, to add to what is it, what you guys have said as well, too. Um, yeah, that transfer is just, it's pretty terrible. Um, I was saying to Nathan earlier, uh, it looks like they spent like three quarters of the budget on dry ice or something for that movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it was okay. I, you know, I'd probably land around a five out of ten on it. It's nothing that I'll probably ever come to again unless maybe if they did do like a, a redone transfer of it and it does look a little bit more gorgeous than it did. Nothing in it that really stuck with me too much. Uh, you know, somebody else had brought up House on Haunted Hill. I think if you're looking for something in the same vein, that's going to be a lot more of an enjoyable time for you. Uh, it did have some good moments in here uh, for me. I mean, like, it is pretty short, so it will go by uh, rather quickly. I did kind of find myself, again, just kind of taken out of it because it looks so bad. I would actually like to see this done on maybe as, like, done as the stage play that it apparently originally was. Um, but for what you have on film right now, I'm not going to say rush out and try to seek this one out unless we get a updated uh, version of this at some point. Um, but yeah, it's, it's okay. Uh, nothing, nothing super to write home about. Um, but well, I didn't feel cheated by watching it either. <laughs> Sounds yeah. Fair. This could be another uh, a movie for Del Toro to remake or somebody to re. I could <laughs> see if you took the basic bones of this, but as 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 was pointed out, the basic bones of this are you know there. I think Brian, it's not like it's you know it could be, but it's probably unlikely that the filmmakers who did clues saw this movie. But there were just so many of these types of movies, 
at the time where you have the guests are invited to a like shady oh, place yeah. and a shady benefactor is going to give you these things and they're pulling the strings in a certain way. I uh, I, I agree and Seth brought up a, a, a great point that I hadn't thought of. Yeah, this is like a lesser version of House Horn Hill. Now House Horn Hill came out well like thirteen or so years later or whatever it was, fifteen yeah. years later. So of course it's gonna be a little bit better shot and acted of course with the great Vince Price, but but yeah, there yeah, for I mean it's nineteen forty five. I mean, for what it was, it wasn't bad. It's worth a watch. I mean yeah. it's an hour and five minutes. And I still have my I still have my suspicions about that in terms of that filming because I think what we might be viewing as cinematography is really someone bouncing the camera filming the print of this movie. I, I know that sounds weird, but there are times when there's that no very good well could reason. be. Yeah. There's no yeah. good reason a camera should be moving up and down. And it seems like we're not always even in the frame of the film itself. So I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, well, it looks for all the world. Like, well, back, think about I my relatives used to have a copy of the Lion King months before it came out. <laughs> and they didn't understand why there was laughter on the soundtrack. And, and this might be like open source or like, yeah. uh, what do you call it? Like, you know, a free movie now. And so, who knows? In the public domain, yeah. In public domain, exactly. Yeah, public domain. Was, so, so maybe somebody copied it and just sold it to Tubi. Who knows? We don't know. It's probably one of those movies you could buy at Walmart in the really thin disc. It smelled like a like rubber fire when you opened it up. <laughs> with with like fourteen other movies on it. Yeah, yeah. Dollar ninety nine. I would always yeah. have like, like I would always have like relatives that would hand me like a giant like stack of those movies like all bundled together like with rubber bands and be like. Happy birthday! I'm like, great, you could have got me one $20 movie, but instead you got me 20 shitty movies. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think a movie of this era that's high and in style is Dead of Night. Yeah, yeah. Dead, yeah. Dead of Night has that feeling and that look. And, I mean, although it's an anthology film, you kind of get the same kind of vibe. Uh, this one is obviously a Poverty Row version, right? And you get what yeah. you get. And there's a little bit of a, a most dangerous game here too, you know. And actually, even yep. the '30s version of that film is a far better uh, the quality of it. And that was also um, cleaned up and restored by the Criterion uh, Collection by Janus Films. That looks a lot nicer than this one. I, does. But I, I, I question whether there is an original film of this somewhere. I, I, yeah, I do wonder about that too. Um, but you know, I enjoyed the movie enough that in this case, I'd actually be willing to go back and kind of see it again you know um and if it was cleaned up i think there's potential to get more enjoyment out of it but so let's move then to the last movie of the night which was actually the movie i chose and it was a movie that honestly i'd heard of here or there before uh coming across the title um and you know where i think where i encountered it probably most of the time it's a it's a film from the 90s was in those uh like video guides where they would, you you could get it from the library and it would be, I can't remember the full name of it. I know that Dave Becker has copies of them. He always posts pictures of them sometimes. It would be the the video guide of 1985 or something like that. And it would just be chock full of movies and they have the little stars. And the main thing I remember is that if a movie was bad enough, it would get a turkey, literally just a little picture of a turkey next to, next to the, the, the movie title. Does anyone remember those? You used to be able to get them from the library. It'd oh. be like, you opened up a, a memory I had not thought of in forever. <laughs> I, I could see the turkey right now in my head. Right. And movies like The Video Dead would have the little turkey and, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but I remember 
reading about this film. This is called My Movie was Mind Warp from 1992. And I thought I had seen just about every 90s straight to video schlock that I could possibly see. And I'm learning, you know, through this podcast and through Land of the Creeps, all these other podcasts, that I was completely wrong about that. There's still plenty of 90s and 80s schlock out there that I haven't seen. And But I will remember encountering the little write-up for this and being surprised because the blurb um, mentioning that, you know, some of the actors here, Bruce Campbell from, obviously, at that point in time, I would have definitely been aware of him being in Army of Darkness in the Evil Dead films. And at that point in time, also, he was he was on TV with the um, Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. about a year or so after this movie comes out. And the other thing, the other actor is Angus Scrimm, who plays the tall man in the Phantasm series. And very rarely do you get to see, except for some of Don Coscarelli's early, early films, do you get to see Angus Scrimm actually, you know, having dialogue that's beyond boy or no, it's not a dream, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> And so it was nice to see that here. But I remember the write-up for the film actually giving it, like, you know, they were pretty stingy with their stars, and I think this had, like, either a three-and-a-half or a four-star rating. I'm like, that's weird for a movie that I have, uh, you know, I never really heard of at the time, and never and I never heard of it in the years after that. Never is the movie Mind War brought up. Uh, even these days, you know, a movie like Sundown the Vampire Retreat that all that uh, is even a little bit more well-known, I think, than this movie. So an interesting fact is it was only, only one of three movies produced by uh, Fangoria's, like Fangoria Films label, that was kind of short-lived there in the 90s, and this movie was one of them. And I think that's interesting because when I picked this film, what I was going for, when I kind of just went to Tubi, went through, was looking at the covers and everything, I was looking for science fiction. It's like, okay, let's move away from the horror a little bit. I'm sure everyone else might, you know, pick something that would, would fit with that, but let's let's get some science fiction in the mix. And that's what I... Thought I was getting. I, it is what I got, but there's also a little bit more horror here than I would have would have thought. And um, the plot's a little bit different than I was expecting as well. It takes place in 2037, and uh, you get this opening that that also is something. There's a lot of things done in this movie that I think in 1992 would have seemed very fresh and seems less fresh now because we've had so many stories sort of trod this area. But you have this opening where you have a voiceover, and I swear that the person they get to read this is the voiceover guy, right? The guy that was that was narrating all the trailers at that point in time is <laughs> narrating this sort of the destruction of Earth and the loss of the ozone layer and how everything's a desolate wasteland and there are death zones. But it's like, well, don't worry because you're in Infinisith, which is this computer program that everyone seems to be plugged into. And right off the bat, uh, our main character, Judy, she's we see her sort of trying to reject this this infinicent program, and we see this sort of shadowy figure that seems to be sort of the, the moderator or the overseer of the, they call him the system operator. You know, you get some very low-rent Tron-looking visuals at this point where she's in her sort of, uh, I guess, like virtual suit, and we see the figure just mostly in shadow who's a system operator, and they sort of are kicking Judy out of the virtual program in that moment. And she wakes up and she's in this very sort of austere and uh, sort of almost claustrophobically small room that, is, you know, the walls are all sort of white. Everything feels a little antiseptic. Uh, it's got a futuristic look to it. We see the pods. She's not the only person in one of the pods. Uh, there's an older woman next to her, which we learn very shortly is her mother. But 
we don't know much about this world except that it is in time, the future, and that most of these people are, uh, which who are called the dreamers, are spending their life in these sealed biospheres, and the computer more or less takes care of them. And when uh, Judy's mother wakes up, she's kind of just upset that she's been woken up out of this eternal reverie that they sort of live in, and she wants to know why Judy isn't plugged back into the computer. And uh, there's a little bit of information comes out that her father uh, is either died or is gone missing, uh, that something happened to him, and uh, he was was taken away, and it was a result of something that happened when he was inside the computer, the virtual program. So all of this is interesting. It does sort of uh, kind of take you back to films like The Matrix or movies like... Uh, uh, David Cronenberg's existence, and now this is much, much more low budget. There's, there's no visual sheen to this, at least at this moment. And Judy is just really upset about having to continue to live in this world. She misses her father. Her father's, uh, you know, his, basically his ID card is still there. And so at some point, she uh, uses that card to try and uh, basically reject the computer system that she's in. So she's in inside Infinisense. She tries to break her reality and find her way into her mother's dream, uh, which is sort of this big sort of lavish opera that she's a part of. And in doing so, she interrupts her mother's dream and actually kind of accidentally kills her. She dies. And when the, uh, the moment that happens, she is snatched up. Uh, it almost feels like a Terry Gilliam movie at this point, right? Everyone breaks in. <laughs> These guys seem to be just waiting around to grab someone who, who violates the laws of the virtual world. And they grab her, they take her away, and she gets exiled. She wakes up under the dirt inside of what, what's been known as the death zone. So, so now it goes from being this sort of cloistered small sci-fi story to something that resembles like Mad Max. She wakes up, she's attacked by these mutants that seem to be trying to grab her, harvest her for meat, and we have a kind of hills have eyes vibe going on, and then she is rescued by the sort of rugged outlander that's played by Bruce Campbell, and it's fun to see Bruce, and this is definitely in his, like, the heyday of his sort of, uh, where he was trying to gun for the a handsome action hero character and not so much the kind of goofy schlub that he plays in, in most things involving Sam Raimi. And uh, and while I like seeing Bruce here, to be perfectly honest, uh, he doesn't he doesn't have a lot to do. He's not given a lot of the same range to, to have fun and be goofy with his character. He's completely fine, but if you're watching this like, oh, we get to see Bruce Campbell, you get the, the stoic... Uh, moments of army of darkness that are only made better by the fact that he says something stupid or falls on his head or something, you know, in, in those movies. And here it's kind of a straightforward hero part for the, for the most part. Now, what I will say is as we start to explore the deadlands and the outworld, I was kind of thinking, well, what happened to the idea of the virtual reality? Like, are we just getting rid of that? As Judy goes down into the underground with Stoker, who's the character played by Bruce Campbell, as they, uh, as she and Stoker go into the underground where the crawlers, which are kind of what they refer to as the mutants, uh, and they see the world that exists down there, and they meet a variety of characters. There's a woman and her uh, young daughter, and 
you get this very different story that develops. I think it shows what the culture of these people living under the ground is like in comparison to those people who are the dreamers. And Judy recognizes that this has never been her life, that she wasn't even aware that the world existed to this degree and that things were this bad. And then we have Angus Scrim come back into the story. It turns out her father's not dead, and he's basically uh, – you know, he, he's pulling every kind of harebrained Christopher Lee, Vincent Price plot you've ever seen uh, under the ground with these crawlers. And it's a very strange things get very demented and very weird. And uh, uh, there's a lot of practical gore, which this is where the Fangoria part makes sense. A lot of practical gore comes into the picture. There are some oozy, goopy things that almost remind you of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, little creatures that get into your body. Uh, the mutant attacks are, are pretty intense, and there's a cult aspect of what's going on underground with Angus Grimm that I found very interesting. Now, then also, the story gets pretty weird because Angus has got a lot of weird ideas about what role Judy should play in his little underground kingdom. And then, uh, at some point, the movie sort of flips again and brings back some of these sci-fi ideas of what's reality, what's not reality. And I, well, I think that's interesting... I think that's where the movie sort of like loses me a little bit because uh, you've got a pretty interesting story going on and then we pull back and see that there's something else going on. And that might have been very sort of innovative in 1992. I appreciate that the movie is not trying to just be a sort of random uh, here are the monsters attacking you sort of movie. That It is trying to be a compelling look at at this concept of the we get to have this utopia but at what expense and if we are ever going to be able to be in charge of this world we have to understand all facets of it those are the things i think the movie's trying to say but at the same time it's just sort of a schlocky b movie that i had a lot of fun with because i thought the set pieces were cool i thought the world building was pretty decent it was fun to see both campbell and scrim even if i don't think they're necessarily used to the heights of you know they create iconic characters in these other movies and here they're just sort of like bit players that are they're doing their part. The actress who plays Judy, the Marta um, Marta Martin, I think she could have been a little bit stronger. I think someone with a little bit that was a little bit more uh, emotive would have made the film stronger. But she's not bad, and she is it, you know she has to carry a lot of it. There are there are scenes the the underground cannibal stuff is very visually interesting, but I think the the kind of more quiet sedate scenes involving the virtual reality uh, aren't as much, but. I will give the movie credit for being ahead of its time. It does a lot of things that some of these other movies did uh, later on, maybe maybe five or six years later, and in a pretty interesting way. I think as B-movies go, it's it, it might have been one of the best case scenarios for what to expect from something like this, and I'm just sort of a blind pull. I really enjoyed it. I liked the ideas. I liked what the movie was trying to say. But at the end of the day, the low budget does hinder it. There's a point where she's telling Campbell's character, oh, you know, I spent all day riding dinosaurs and swimming in pools around the moon or something. And you're like, well, I didn't see any of that. All I see is this gross, dirty cave full of cannibals. But I think it's a nice mixture of horror and science fiction. I really enjoyed it. And it did keep me sort of guessing up until the very end. However, it does, I think it doesn't quite get itself across the finish line. But, but it is a lot of fun. It is a movie I probably would watch again. It's a fun little B-movie that I wish I had seen at the time it was released, because I think I would have appreciated it more. But for me, it actually was. Uh, this might be the most, you know, not most, but it's probably a controversial opinion, too. This was the most fun movie I saw of the ones that we watched. And usually I pick the ones that I, that I don't enjoy as much. But this, I, I, I do think it's worth seeing if you're a fan of 
uh, B movies and B science fiction movies. The movie is actually about something. It's got some interesting ideas in it. Uh, so yes, yeah, seven for me. What did, what did you guys think? Uh, Brian, how, how says you? Well, dang it. I was <laughs> just, just now while you guys were talking, I was trying to look up the tool song so I could play it. But I'll just sing it. <laughs> Slipping into a dream within a dream. Man, I love Tool. So that relates <laughs> to this movie right here. It opens it opens up like is it gonna be a Matrix type movie? Yeah. This is gonna be a crazy sci fi movie. But no. Ten minutes in, we get a Mad Max movie. Or something <laughs> something like that from the seventies or eighties. It all takes place in the desert. And she's exploring out there and what's there's a lot of weird parts when she's captured by these desert people. But what saves this movie for me is the great Bruce Campbell. Thank God Bruce Campbell's in this movie or I would have lost interest immediately. But Bruce Campbell brought it up a notch and I got really interested in it. And then I started getting fascinated by it. And started looking at close details like this is a Mad Max movie. The the villain weird people are wearing hubcaps yes. as, ar- as armor. So I mean they are basically they are really digging deep, scavenging whatever's left out there after you know the uh, apocalypse. I mean hubcaps as chest plates, and um, they their trap door to get the hidden part of their lair is a refrigerator. <laughs> they put a refrigerator there, and they open the door, and that's how they get there. So a lot of, a lot of weirdness there. But um, there, there was just, I don't have much to say on this movie. I did like this movie, actually. This is probably my second favorite movie we watched tonight. I mean, it's probably. I mean, I actually like that found footage movie we talked about, Unforsaken or Godforsaken. I, I thought that was pretty good, but tied with second is Mind Warp, and I'm gonna give it like a seven point five to an eight on this movie there there was one weird part in this movie i don't want to give away too much spoilers but i'm just going to say at a point in the movie and it's not near the end so you know it's the dad wants to mate with a daughter what and why why as unsavory as that idea is it's even worse when you get to the end and you realize the whole crux of what was actually happening and you think that someone chose that. To, that this was the best yeah. way to get this information across to you. Just oh, so weird. But I'll let you guys speak on That's all I have to say about this movie. So take it away, guys. Seth, what do you think of this one? Yeah, so um, interesting uh, this film was. Um, Nathan, it's funny that you mentioned you, you mentioned the two films that I thought of when we were watching this was Existence and uh, Mad Max as well, too. So, like, the first, like, five minutes, I was like, oh, this is like a uh, David Gronenberg type of film. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I feel the same, about the same way as you guys so far as well, too. Like, this is probably my second favorite out of the films that we watched um, so far. I, I agree, Nathan. I think if I would have seen this back in the early 90s when this first came out, I prob- this probably would have been one of 
those that would be like kind of on my rotation. It feels like a almost like early HBO type of film that they just yeah. like replay over and over again. How do um, we not see this though? Honestly, I, I, yeah, I don't understand where where did this movie go, go to and just like reappear at some point. Um, I, I agree. I think the main actress. I think that's probably one of the biggest like downfalls of this film. I mean, I, she does have a lot to kind of carry on her shoulders, but I don't, just don't think that she kind of leads up to it. I think though Campbell, uh, again, you know, he's always great to see it. And for any time he shows up, he probably looks the best he ever did in this movie though. Uh, oh, if you're yeah. looking for hunky, if you're looking for hunky Bruce Campbell, this is the the one to go to. Um, some of the stuff I think once they get to the outworld, uh, does, there's some parts towards the middle that just kind of drug for me where it was just kind of like repeat, almost repeating similar ideas over and over again. There was a scene with the sex swing that kind of comes into play that I'm glad <laughs> didn't go any further yes. than it did in the movie. Um, but overall, for the most part, I, you know, I did enjoy this movie. I thought there were some interesting ideas in it. And the fact that it takes place in 2037 feels like we're kind of on the right timeline to get <laughs> and hit it in that time frame. <laughs> we're, we're uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, if you're in, if you like those kind of like late '80s, early '90s kind of uh, post-apocalyptic type of films, I think you might find some enjoyment out of this. There are some interesting concepts that do happen in here as well too. Um, but don't don't go in expecting you know the greatest film of all time because you're definitely not going to get it with this. Um, but yeah, I, I I kind of second most of you guys what I, what you guys had said on this as well too so that's kind of my opinion on it i probably give this one about a six out of ten for me um you know nothing not the greatest film i've ever seen but uh i i, I might watch that again especially with a group of people it would be fun to see that together yeah i i enjoyed this one uh i love these kind of episodes because i would have never found mind warp there's no way. Unless I was going through Bruce Campbell and I wanted to be a completist, I don't think I would have found this. Yeah, film. I think you're right. That's about it. So Campbell has a lot worse movies than this to his name. <laughs> true, and I think this was at a time when kind of the Evil Dead stuff had gone through. Uh, what year is Army of Darkness? 90? Same year, ninety. Same year. Okay, yeah. it, it, so, it gets released in ninety three though. So this is. Right on the cusp of both. Yeah, right on the cusp of that. And after, was it um, Maniac Cop 2? Uh, I think that Maniac Cop 2 was maybe a year before this. He, year before he this. also gets his own TV show with Briscoe County Jr. like in 93. So he's like right on the cusp of like what should have been his big break. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he he is working, but he obviously yeah. needs to work. And and But I do think he gave his best in this role. I mean, the concept of it is pretty cool. And for 1992, I agree with you, Nathan. It was a little bit ahead of the curve on that. It was obviously low budget, but I did think it had some decent costumes and effects. Uh, I mean, Campbell does overact a bit, but I mean, he's given it, you know, you, you don't hire him to be Sir Lawrence Olivier. You, you, you hire him to be Bruce Campbell. And he gave you Bruce Campbell in this, uh, uh, and I did note, uh, Seth, she is stripped to a bra and panties and put into a sex swing. <laughs> but I did find that the film stalled a little bit once it got captured. Uh, I don't want to give too many plot points, but I thought for a while there just kind of muddled as they were literally muddling in water and being used as slaves. I, I, I agree with you there, Bill. That was the one downfall of the movie. I thought that it did muddle 
in that second act. There should have been a little more going on there, but that's why I said Bruce Campbell saved the movie for me because I can watch him muddle around all day long. So yeah, I, I, but I mean, it does go somewhere after that. I mean, I understand. Yeah, they, they were kind of laying down some of the story and some of the backstory, and it was filling in the gaps, mm-hmm. and you kind of wondered. You know, at the beginning, it was almost kind of like it reminded me a little of Dune or something, you know, like a lot of stuff happening in the desert. And all of a sudden, <laughs> oh, no, they, then you get sucked in, you know. But, yeah. but, they, but in this film, they weren't looking for spice. They weren't looking for spice in this film. Um, there's some decent gore in escape attempts. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And, and you know what? Poor Claude. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say. Poor Claude. You know, and there was, and and for the uh, uh, Star Wars fans in here, I found a Star Wars parallel where a certain character has to choose between her father and Bruce Campbell. I almost thought I wrote down, I am your father, join the dark side. I hate Star Wars. Don't bring that up in here. No, No, I'm joking. Star Wars rolls. Yeah, I totally agree. Brian's basement. You'll yeah. know that he's just pulling your leg. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and the thing is, like, I am not a Star Wars guy, so for me to pull that out, it was pretty yeah. flipping obvious. I'll tell you that much. Well, well said, Bill. Great insight on that because I didn't but, think of that really. I mean, I kind of did, but not. I mean, now that you mention it, I'm thinking of it. But great insight, man. But and I also saw an allusion to Texas Chainsaw. There's a moment of a glinting hook. At one point, uh, similar to when one of the characters at the beginning of TCM gets put on a hook. And that makes sense because this is a Fangoria production. At the end of the day, you know, it's a melding of sci-fi. There's a bit of fantasy in there. There's a bit of adventure in there. There's a bit of survival in there. There is some good practical effects and gore. I don't think there's any CGI in this at all. I mean, this was in the infancy of CGI as it is. But I think it was pretty much all practical. And I mean, you can, there's a little bit of Roger Corman. You can see if you knock one wall over, half the set falls down. You get that. But at the same, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, not a bad little film. Go in with tempered expectations and, you know, you're going to enjoy yourself if you enjoy sci-fi and you're not scared of a little bit of very obvious fake gore. Uh, so, you know, there's divided loyalties. There's, you know, there's tunneling, you know, Got a little bit of the great escape and you know mixed into here. I give this a seven out of ten. I thought it was I thought it was well worth a watch. Yeah, yeah man, I, I, I told I, I agree, Bill. Great movie. And I think it, I think I I think that might be our our best rated movie of the night. So maybe I finally win a VOD roulette for a change. Yeah, well, it's a, it's, it's a definite uptick from the one for. Uh, the Horror Chronicle Boys. Well, I think, I think, actually, I think this group of people, we like Reflecting Skin. I think, I think actually Seth and Brian would like Reflecting Skin too. I just think we had the, the wrong movie for the right, the, for that audience. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and again, it was probably, Reflecting Skin was probably a better made film, but, yeah. but th- this had more, eh, fine blood, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I recommend. I this is the one I would definitely recommend for for people you know, who are listening to this and like, oh, I want to see something that maybe I haven't seen before. And 
uh, I think so rarely the schlock movies we review on here end up being good. So I think that's the thing here is, you know, a lot of times we'll pick an indie film and it's not schlock and, and you know, it turns out to be pretty good. But here's this is schlock and it's actually pretty decent. I mean, now I think we've had so many movies that it, it's not going to feel as fresh as it might have been in 92. But it is kind of a, it is a little it's good enough that I'm a little surprised that it isn't at least a little more well known. I will say that this is one that if Vinegar Syndrome or Severin or one of those uh, or even Arrow get got a hold of it and like redid it and actually got some of these guys uh, like like Campbell or somebody to like do some uh, you know uh, commentaries or something on it and, and, and it has some special features, I'd be willing to pick this one up. I, it's the one that I do enjoy. So. I agree with you, Nathan. I really can't believe I've never heard of this movie either. And I bet you a lot of people haven't heard of Mind Warp uh, 1992. And I'm so glad that you picked it because it was an eye-opener for me. I mean, obviously, we're all saying it's nothing amazing. It's not a masterpiece by any means. But hey, hey, look, Come on, it's, guys, it's, it's VOD roulette. You take what you yeah, can get. Yeah, exactly. But for VOD roulette, this is worth a watch. And I got a real kick out of the movie, so thank you for picking it. Yeah, it's no sure. zombie nightmare, but you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's number one movie of the evening. <laughs> zombie nightmare. <laughs> I, I mean, I, hear I can't complain. I mean, here's complain. the truth of it. I really wasn't bored by any of the movies that we watched tonight. Even Zombie Nightmare, mm-hmm. I was kind of com- uh, consistently amused in a you know in, in a really stupid way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I totally agree. We had a wide, well, wide range of movies. I mean, cheesy eighties all the way up to uh, Well Shot the Wind, and then you get get mid nineties cheese Mad Max movie like uh, Mind Warp. So that's a good point. We have a kind of a mix of, yeah. of a lot of different things there. Um, next time we might have to do some Andy Sedaris movies like Hard Ticket to Hawaii or something. You know, hell yeah, <laughs> the Dallas connection. <laughs> Oh, Tubi will have a field day with Andy Sedaris. Tubi has a ton of those. I I can't think of the guy's name, but I always think of the like Japanese man with the really big eyebrows and the beard who was in like every single one of those. And he was it was only like he he was like relatively short, so he's always standing like right below Julie Strange's breasts, like in every film. <laughs> but um, uh, what is the name of that? I'm writing it down as we speak. There's lots of them. Uh, you've seen some of these, I'm sure, Seth. Please tell me you have. I don't want to be the only one that watches crap on, like, Skin of Max. Oh, hard ticket, to, hard ticket to Hawaii is where it is at. <laughs> one of them has Pat Morita in it. I don't remember which one that is. It's one of the early, like, Andy Sedaris, quote-unquote, classics. I remember it was one called The Dallas Connection. And, yeah, I think that was where I first encountered Julie Strain. I was like, oh, hello. But um, it's just a lot of boobs and, and, and explosions and, like... Just Savage, like the, Savage Beach. Savage Beach. Is that the one with Pat Morita? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just looking it up now because I didn't know who you're talking about. Wow, what a filmography. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's quite quite a um collection of films there. Um but they are there's something kind of cheesily entertaining about them. Am I wrong about this, Seth? Well, no, I'm just serious. Hard, to, hard Ticket to Hawaii is a fun movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Really stupid, but it is fun. Yeah. Um, and, yes, there's – it's only the 90s could have really – 90s and the specific, like, like niche of, like, being able to show something at showtime at, like, 2 in the morning is what resulted in, like, Andy Sedaris movies. <laughs> 
it, it, it feels kind of like living inside of Robert Evans's head for like an hour and a half. <laughs> That's good. And I, I feel like, yeah, it might be time to do some, some like, uh, bring some Andy Sedaris into the, uh, uh, in, into the VOD roulette sphere. So I think that's that's our show for tonight. This is a very interesting group of movies, and uh, definitely I'm glad that I that I saw all of them. And man, if anyone out here is listening to this, and you have any any uh, connections, if if someone can clean up Fog Island, it's not a bad little movie. I would love to see that movie, uh, and, and and just to be able to really determine whether it's badly shot. Or you guys just look like, you know, someone did a steady cam of it through, uh, you know, through a milk bottle. Because, because uh, we know Justin Beam is listening, so get this right to the top of your Yeah, you, it's something like that. And if not, well, you know, we'll <laughs> settle for a Mind Warp special edition. Um, but, yeah, uh, guys, what I'll do is I'll go around the horn, let everybody kind of share anything you want. Uh, I will say for anyone listening, uh, again, Amanda Lee, thank you for suggesting uh, God Forsaken, and thank everybody else who who mentioned movies. Uh, we would put all those movies into a list, and we will be uh, putting those into the rotation and for future. And then I will also make sure that when we come up for our next VOD roulette, we're going to do these regularly, that we will uh, we'll, we'll continue to put posts up so you can suggest movies. So uh, we will have that for next time. Uh, please, if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, preferably a five-star review that helps get the word out, and uh, it does help sort of uh, draw more attention to the podcast. So please do that. Uh, if you go over to the Facebook group and share any thoughts you had about these movies, if you, you got a chance to see them, uh, let us know what you thought. We will have a, a post up there when this episode drops. And uh, if you have anything that you want to share with us, you can contact us at famcastgmail.com. And as always, you can find it in most, most places where uh, podcasts are shared, podcatchers. And you can find us on Twitter at Phantom Galaxy. So let's go ahead. Brian, uh, let everybody know uh, anything you want uh, want them to know, any places where they can find you. In the show notes, I will also have links to Brian's two episodes he did with us of uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas episodes, and we will definitely be having uh, Brian back more often. We will. We have a Star Wars episode in works as well. So, Thank you very much, Nathan, and my good buddy, Bill. I'm so glad to have met Seth here on this podcast. If you take anything away from this podcast, I would say Mind Warp, starring Bruce Campbell, and Zombie Nightmare, starring, oh, who the heck was I going to say? Thor! Thor! Yeah, Thor. Okay, there we go, Thor. And Adam West. Adam West. No, that's what I was going to say. Batman. Adam West. I mean, come on. you got to watch it. Adam West. He plays a bigger role than you think in this movie, surprisingly. But anyway, um, thanks a lot, guys. I'm really appreciative to be on here. My third time on Phantom Galaxy. Phantom Galaxy podcast is one of the best out there. And, you know, you can find me on Twitter, Horror Movie Fanboy. I'll talk to anybody. I'll follow anybody that's got movies or horror or anything on their profile. Having to do with cinema, because that's my love. And then let's chat it up in the uh, Phantom Galaxy Facebook group. Along with uh, father and son love horror movies and or watch horror movies, and then my good buddies Greg and Pearl, Dave and Bill, Bill the Butcher here, over there at Land of the Creeps Facebook group. 
can't go wrong there. And then my latest episode that I'm, I'm really proud of this. Uh, I mean, no props to me, all props to Dr. Shock Dave Bucker. I was honored to join him on his DVD infatuation podcast, just released, edited by the great Jay the Dead from Jay the Dead's new horror movies podcast. We talked, um, eighties comedies. I wanted to do 80 slashers, but we decided on 80s comedies. So check out DVD Infatuation Podcast, and we get a lot of yuck yucks out of that one, talking 80s comedies. And thank you very much for having me on. I love you guys. Can't wait to be on again. Yeah, for sure. And that is a great that's a great episode that you guys did. I was I was happy to hear Time Bandits get mentioned as well amongst uh, all the other 80s comedies. Yeah. So yeah, that, well, was we fant- a- I was going to say fantastic episode, and I was. Really surprised at some that weren't on the list. So anybody who thinks, you know, that 80s comedies are pigeonholed by people, check them out. And a really good musical segment afterwards. So I had like, oh, thank you. I had like 30 comedy movies. It was so hard to narrow it down to 10. (laughs) I mean, I had at least 30. So I, I, I was listening to it while I was making breakfast for my wife and daughter. My wife goes, why didn't anybody mention One Crazy Summer? And I was like, I don't that, know. Yeah, I know. That's a great. Yeah, yeah, we didn't even mention that at all. So many good ones. But yeah. thank you, guys. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well for you, um, Brian. And then, Seth, anything uh, you want to mention or plug? Well, it's really nice to be finally back out of the Black Lodge again and back on the <laughs> podcast. Um, if you if you want to, if you go back to, I believe it was like 2018, you will find me back on the podcast at that point again, where we started our uh, 30 days of Halloween. We did two episodes, and then I was gone for uh, the next uh, five or six years. So um, <laughs> it's been great to be back on and, and getting to join all, all three of you guys again once more. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I'd love to do it again. Um, uh, as long as we don't watch um, Godforsaken or uh, I kept calling it unholy the entire time I kept watching it as, then so it was a little confusing but uh, yeah been a hell of a lot of fun guys thanks again for having me on it's it's been a blast yeah it's it's awesome to have you back Seth and I I'm looking forward to having you I'd like to do a David Lynch series uh, Bill and I've been talking because Bill I think you've only seen Eraserhead right I, I think I mean if I go through maybe there's another one but. Razorhead's yeah. the only one that pops to mind. So we're about to get you on for some of that. And I really, we started doing, uh, one of the most fun things I remember doing, um, when Seth was on the podcast monthly was we were going through the Twin Peaks, the return as it was airing and doing episodes about that. And I don't know that we ever finished. So I, I, I want to start a rewatch of Twin well, Peaks. Well, I, <laughs> I, I would, I want to thank Seth for oh, yeah. coming on. And, uh, I mean, we're, we're brothers in many, many aspects. But the one movie of David Lynch's I've never seen, and I've held off from watching for one of these kind of episodes, I've never seen Blue Velvet. Oh, wow. So yes. that's uh, one. I love that movie. And, I mean, I like wacky uh, Dennis Hopper and, you know, and David Lynch's, you know. So I, I want to watch it, but I've held off for, you know, what when I give a reaction to a first-time watch. We want to get that one going. You've never seen David. You've never seen Dennis Hopper like this. <laughs> <laughs> but then, if we did that, I would love to follow it up with Dennis Hopper in Red Rock West. Yeah, that's a good movie. I like Red Rock West. That's uh, then Nicholas Cage too, right? Nicholas Cage, yeah. It's an underrated, an underrated movie. Um, well, anyway, that's basically our episode, guys. Thanks so much for joining, and you can. Uh, 
Catch us again on Phantom Galaxy. We got a lot of cool stuff coming up for the rest of the summer, including more VOD roulette once once Bill returns from his uh, wooded exile in the Deadlands. Of well, I, I was going to say on that point, uh, since you love '80s slashers so much, mm-hmm. Brian, I want you to look up a film that Nathan and I did. Oh, I'm going to say about 18 months ago called Oh God, The Forest. <laughs> Wait, The Forest. The oh no. Forest. I saw the new vert, the Japanese. Oh no, 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 no! That's a totally oh, different movie. Oh, okay, the no, I I have not seen the forest. Okay, the forest. I'm gonna, and, I'll and, check and, it out. And there is another one that I just watched. It's on Tubi. I was a Saturday morning. I won't go into anything other than it's called 2022's Bull Shark. <laughs> that sounds like a trap. Well, it, it it is, but go in knowing it's it's Z level, and you'll have fun with it. <laughs> Sounds like bull, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but bull, that was just sitting something. there. Sorry, they picked that dad joke up off the floor. Is but, this sharks um, of the corn level? Sharks, sharks of the corn. Of the corn. Oh my god! Where you see just a, literally a, a piece of rubber going through a cornfield. Uh, this one has, you know what, this one has zero budget, but they put a little bit of fun into the writing and, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, it is sci-fi, I'd hope that this shark literally has a head like a bull with horns, like, it'd really be the only reason I would actually want to watch it. I I, I, actually, I was going to say, Nathan, I actually sent uh, a link to the IMDb page for this to Ryan Stockstead. Oh, nice. Because I know he's doing a shark film. Okay, so this is Bull Shark. I promise you, my mom's already watched it. She <laughs> she's seen every single shark movie I've ever recommended to her. And yeah, well, it, it did it did come up, come out in the states in February, early oh, February. She, she's been, it's been out there five and a half months. <laughs> yep, she's watched it. <laughs> Find out she's seen Santa, Santa Jaws. That's the real question. She did. She did. I said yeah, there maybe list, she has seen them all. Yeah, I sent her a list of three movies. I'm like, Mom, I know you watch these crazy movies. Have you seen Sharks in the Corn? Have you seen Santa Claus or whatever that is? And then I said, Do you see Shark Exorcist? And she's like, Yeah, I saw all three. I'm like, wow. Shark Exorcist. <laughs> yeah. Shark Exorcist is terrible. <laughs> yeah. It is one of- it's she literally terrible. responded to my text with, yeah, I watched them all. I'm like, wow. Oh, my God. The one that okay. really befuddled me was one called <laughs> Dam Sharks. And it was like those sharks were building dams like beavers out of human bodies. <laughs> like, I thought you were going to say that they, like, started up a, uh, they started up a Dam Yankees, like, cover yeah. band in the water. <laughs> Dam Sharks. No, it's even more weird. It was, and then Avalanche Sharks, I remember that. The shark well, Avalanche Sharks. And the other one we did on Land of the Creeps that was just – just that is ghost shark. I was gonna say ghost shark. I remember that they killed it and it came back as a ghost. It was haunting the guy. Oh, it. it makes a movie like one of my favorite Jaws ripoffs is Great White. The last shark is it? Last movie? shark. Great White yeah. with Vic Morrow. And, and yeah. it makes I mean, oh, that one. That's a Bruno Mattei, I believe. Bruno Mattei film. The poor Vic Morrow. Man, yeah, and, and that and, first yeah. film's episode about that was so tragic and they showed the actual footage wow but great i don't know but great white makes ghost shark look like jaws oh god (laughs) (laughs) it is what it is Uh, all right well until next time everyone this is the phantom galaxy signing out 
If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth-pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth-pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.